0: Hello and welcome to the 250. Your weekly podcast look at the IMDB's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host Darren Mooney and joining me as always and forever. the wonderful Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew?
1: Not always, Darren <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> well, I'm back. well that that is <laughs> Well that is next week. Um, so you are still you're still on your your hot, your hot streak so far. Um, yeah. but yes. Uh, we we're talking about Christopher Nolan's 2005 Superhero Spectacular. It's was missing for Get Out as well. <laughs> you were missing for, yeah. but that, that, that at least was, you gave advance notice of. I did.
1: It
0: I did, wasn't yes. as if somebody hit record and got an email saying, by the way, Darren, I'm not here. Uh, <laughs> not to spoil events from next week's episode. Um, <laughs> but yes, we have two spectacular guests joining us for a discussion of Christopher Nolan's 2005 superhero reboot blockbuster, Batman Begins. First of all, the sensational Phil Bagnell. How are you, Phil. Hello.
2: <laughs> I'm fine, thank you.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I was just going to leave a pause until I got an answer. And the fantastic Alex Towers. How are you, Alex? I'm
3: good. Glad to be here. Oh,
0: cool. So, yes, yeah, so basically um, every year for Batman Day, we've been covering a Batman movie on the top 250 on the bottom 100. Oh,
1: it's, it's Batman Day, by the yes. way. Yes. <laughs>
0: that universal holiday it used to be about happy batman day darren uh, happy batman day andrew our oldest and most sacred of holidays i mean it used to be about like proving criminals were a superstitious and cowardly lot but now it's just turned into a big commercial celebration batman bless us everyone i mean people have forgotten what it was meant to be about um but yes so we're talking about christopher nolan's uh 2005 batman begins the origin of his dark Knight trilogy the first movie the first batman movie on the top 250 that we've talked about for the day now we obviously we talked about uh, Batman versus Superman with Graham we've talked about Cat the Woman. Batman when it came in earlier in the year yeah, catwoman is obviously a top 250 movie andrew um but but you have talked about we, it. we have talked about it no no cats had your tongue there but yes so for this discussion i reached out to alex cuz alex has talked to us like you you talked to us a bit about like movies from auteur directors so you've talked a bit about spielberg you've talked about kubrick you've talked about fincher uh, you've talked about uh, scorsese as well So Nolan, I kind of figured to complete the set, just to get your initial thoughts on kind of Christopher Nolan and kind of this film. Do you remember the first time you saw Batman Begins?
3: Yes, I can with great detail because this was right around the sort of like film nerd dawning era of um, reading magazines like Empire and Total Film and actually like getting updates about these movies, you know, and, and sort of realizing and I think when they announced it, um, I was still young enough to be slightly disappointed that it wasn't like a continuation of the Batman movies that I had known um, throughout the 90s. And I think it was the announcement of Michael Caine as Alfred. And I was like, no, no, that's that's not right. You have, um, I think it's Alfred Gough, uh, you know, Michael Gough, yeah? that was it, um, should play him. So I was initially extremely sceptical of this for this fact. And then, yeah, I went with um, my younger brother and a friend and... Had a great time, I think, you know, aged, yeah, fourteen or fifteen, and it was, you know, fantastic. Um, that said, like, I think a lot of it and I I talked about this when I was on, I think talking about Batman and Robin. Um, there is an effect for these kind of films when you when you go and see them with a crowd and a big and there's so much hype around, like, that's a lot of the fun. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but I just found nothing quite like That first viewing was the the height of my enjoyment of this film, and I think every subsequent viewing I've been a little bit more like,
4: hmm, hmm, hmm.
3: But yeah, I do remember with great fondness uh, going to uh, Batman Begins in the hype and the excitement of
0: it. Yeah, and I mean, it is is worth noting, just to put that in context, you talked about it being a reboot. It's one of the first wave Mm. of reboots as well. Like, this was a point at which... And we talked about it on the podcast before about, like, sequels. We talked about the emergence and growth of Hollywood sequels. And generally speaking, as you said, there was this attitude of franchises being continuing things. And, like, to the point where you would swap out actors when they got bored, but you would continue the story. Obviously, Batman goes from being Michael Keaton to Val Kilmer um, to George Clooney. And, I mean, even, like, Bond kind of, like, changes as well. And this is the point where you really start, like... What if we told it from the beginning again? Mm. And I mean, at this point, the term reboot hadn't quite entered pop culture. I mean, I think the, the term originates in comic book fandom. It would have first appeared around about 1994 on Usenet groups. And obviously, like comic book fans on early internet message boards take a lot of their language from you know computers. So obviously, reboot is a term applied to restarting continuity. But, like, this wasn't the norm in how movie franchises kind of worked around this time. It's worth noting, I think, in 2008, when, you know, after Ang Lee's Hulk, which had been released in 2003, Universal kind of wanted to start over. They kind of recast Eric Bana. They replaced Ang Lee with uh, Louis Leterrier. But there was this kind of ambiguity about whether or not they were restarting continuity or whether or not it was meant to be a sequel, because it kind of picks up with Ed Norton's character, like where the previous movie had ended for Eric Bana. And you have like, I think Christopher Orr in The Atlantic is saying you might be forgiven for assuming this is a sequel if you didn't know any better. And a lot of the press around it kind of talked about it as a sequel, whereas nowadays we just identify it as a reboot. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, you have in, in press at the time, Nolan and, and kind of David S. Goyer, the writer, kind of both refer to Batman Begins as a as a reboot, but they also talk about how that term isn't really used. And you have this idea, I think, that, like, even at the time, I think Nolan talks about this in the Nolan Variations, the book written by Tom Sean, that, like, he was like, it's only been eight years since Batman and Robin. Are our audiences ready for another uh, Batman movie, a fresh start, a new Batman going back to the beginning? No, uh,
2: but Warner Brothers accountants surely were. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. But it's kind of funny how, um, in hindsight, like, that seems so modest. That seems so safe and so trite almost in hindsight because like you get to the point where you are you're rebooting Spider-Man only two or three years after the last movie kind of failed to gain any traction. Hmm. And, and, you know, and again, we'll, we'll probably talk about this when we talk about like The Dark Knight Rises. You know, it's kind of interesting that we we now live in a world where these things are big sprawling franchises that just go on and on and spawn sequels and spin-offs that I think Andrew described as homework where we, we can't really conceive of these things having, you know, endings, let alone beginnings anymore. So it's, it's kind of interesting how Batman Begins was so radical at the time, but now seems almost kind of quaint in hindsight for being this kind of self-contained starting point. But, but sorry, sorry, Phil, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time you saw Batman Begins?
2: Um, I do. And it's very similar to Alice's experience. And I do remember it very particularly. So it came out 2005. I was 18. And I remember this specifically because it was the first film that I went to see after I completed my leaving certificate exam. So for our overseas distance, that's our final exams in Ireland. So, like I said, I'm 18 years old. It's the most stressful period of your life. And um, I sat my final exam on the Tuesday, chemistry. I broke my teacher's heart on that subject. But anyway, I got through it in the end. And with flying colours too. Anyway, that's a tangent. Um, So the Friday, uh, Batman Begins was released. And I went along with a friend, Brendan, if you're listening, shout out. And um, we had a blast. We had an absolute blast. And like Alex, I was in that stage of being that kind of film nerd who read those magazines and was following the kind of hype around them. I'm not like a comic book nerd as such, or I'm not into big into superhero franchises much before or since. But Batman, to me, and I think to a lot of people, is probably the most interesting of the superheroes. So when this was coming along, and it was on, it was coming to us with an interesting new cast from a director who was on the on the come up. I just figured, yeah, this has got to be worth a try. And initial reviews were certainly positive And then came along, and we had an absolute blast. And yeah, in, in subsequent viewings, it might have... It mightn't be quite as it won't have the same power as that first viewing with an audience, but but the reason I'm here is because I still enjoy the heck out of it, and I think, and I think it still has a lot to say, and much like all of the Dark Knight trilogy, it it's still ripe for uh, anal- analysis and interpretation, which I think Darren is where you come in, and indeed, <laughs> I hate to su- I hate to suggest that you've actually made a career out of it,
0: particularly Nolan films, but here we are. Um yeah, I mean I wouldn't say that I've written the book on the subject. But plug 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 plug. <laughs> Andrew, what about yourself? Do you remember when you first saw Batman Begins? Did you catch it in the cinema? Did you wait for video? What was what was your first experience of it?
1: I'm guessing I um did not see it in the cinema. i, I probably saw it that um Christmas maybe, on um if it was on kind of, you know, home media. Um I just finished my home economics exam for <laughs> is um abroad it's an exam
0: and, in home economics <laughs> yeah
1: um and and I I I think I I think I was traveling and no I did, I did, I did, I didn't see it that summer um no oh, okay. but I, I I like I I feel like I have some kind of uh recollection of having seen it um but it, not 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 at the time. I I certainly remember the um the uh, uh, sequel,
0: the Dark Knight,
1: and uh, yeah, and all of the kind of stuff around that. Um, and the
0: difficulty of
1: getting to see it. Of yes, it being uh, b- uh, b- uh, booked out, sold out, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. No, I mean, like it is. It is worth noting that like Batman begins you know it relatively underperformed um it only it only Darren says it only grossed 373 million dollars worldwide and then the sequel goes on to gross well over you know a billion dollars and help be one of the movies that like cements a billion dollars as the binary pass fail that we assign to movies but this you know, didn't gross nearly as much. It kind of had a bit of a kind of an uphill slog. And it's fascinating that, like, Warner Brothers, instead of looking at that performance and going, nah, no more of this, we'll try a different approach with the sequel, we're like, no, the reviews for Batman Begins are strong enough, and the audience seems, like, enthused and excited by it. So we'll actually, we'll continue and let the director operate on the sequel with even more creative freedom which is is quite remarkable um and yeah yeah i i remember my own experience kind of seeing batman begins which is kind of very much in line with those box office figures and more with andrew's experience than i think phil or alex's which is i remember going to see it uh, when in my first year of college towards the end of my first year of college when i you know, seeing it in matinee in the screen, uh, the old screen cinema. And listeners... Ah, oh, that old flea pit. You know, for international listeners, we should explain that a cinema is a big room where you sit in a seat <laughs> and stare at a screen. Um, but, but no, it was the cinema... What is it? What is
1: it, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, um, sorry. Um, and with that, the
2: 250 patronised its last listener and died in its heart.
1: Did I say home <laughs> economics? It was you did. You did say home science. economics.
2: That's, That's oh. weird. I, I
1: didn't do home economics for the leaving. Side. It was... <laughs> I, it was it was agricultural science what are you blathering about
0: and 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 now listeners they just can't trust the podcast anymore you've broken that sacred bond
3: um, that's that's the thing that breaks the
0: background <laughs> to yeah.
1: so explain for listeners um what we mean by that um <laughs>
0: But, um, but yeah, so the screen cinema, which was a small cinema that used to be right by college, and I remember going to see it on a matinee, an afternoon screening with a bunch of two college friends, so I guess shout out to uh, Kathleen and Luke if they are listening, I don't imagine they are but yeah, I remember going to see it and being kind of burned out on the idea of Batman at that point, where like it had been the Schumacher films had been like, um, as I said, Batman Forever was the point at which I realised movies could be bad which was an existential moment for 8 year old me um, and then obviously like Catwoman and stuff like that, and like obviously you you know we've covered catwoman on this podcast as well and like more than that it's just it's just worth kind of acknowledging where superhero cinema was around about 2005 now to be clear it is worth stressing that like comic book cinema in general was in a pretty interesting place this moment in time so you had like obviously you had the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies both of which are excellent the first two Bryan Singer uh, X-Men movies which you know are directed by a man who should be in prison but are also I think very good and obviously kind of set the, the tone for the genre you had the first two Blade movies as well which were fantastic and even beyond superheroes it's it's worth making an argument for where the comic book movie was in 2005 kind of when Batman Begins kind of first came out because I mean I I mentioned it a moment ago you had like Ang Lee's Hulk in 2003 which is like a director who's off like the success of Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon and decides he's making a superhero movie and makes this weird introspective character drama which I think has aged phenomenally. But, like, if you step outside the usual corporate superhero space, the same year as Batman begins, you have, for example, like Francis Lawrence's Constantine, uh, starring Keanu Reeves, possibly one of the worst casting decisions in a major, in a major superhero movie. But it's a movie that I, I think is fascinating. I rewatched it recently, it's very good. And arguably also, uh, you know, one of the last great examples, unironic examples of inappropriate smoking where you have this idea of the main character making smoking look damn sexy, uh, even as he's dying of lung cancer. You have, like, you know, Alan Moore, who obviously created the character of Constantine, uh, going on and doing, like, the his adapt- adaptation of V for Vendetta, like, go- apparently, like, produced by the Wachowskis. Um, is there as well. That's the same year as well. You have, like, if you're willing to step just a little bit outside of the mainstream, you have movies like Sin City is the same year as well. And, like, David Cronenberg's A History of Violence, another comic book adaptation, is in there as well. And that's kind of like the, the froth and the ferment, that you're kind of, you're getting something like Batman Begins, which isn't like any other superhero movie. It's arguably more like those more experimental comic book adaptations. But you look at where the superhero movie outside of Batman Begins was in 2005, and like, the, the biggest superhero movie of the year, apart from Batman Begins, is, you know, Tim Story's first Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. And then you also. Oh. Yeah, I, I think the New York Times described the movie as fun, dumb and full of upcoming actors as it's well. Awful. And then like in, in you know, at the same time you have like Elektra, yeah, the kind of spin off from Daredevil, directed by Rob Bowman, starring. Uh, I, go do, ahead there, I do
1: remember watching that. I watched it in Trogir in Croatia. It was like an outdoor cinema. It was like this UNESCO World Heritage site. And, we were, and that's what, what they did to it?
0: Showing Tim's story is fantastic. Yeah, we,
1: we, we, we were walking in and, they were like, and it was like, oh, they're showing a movie. Do you want to watch this movie? And, and So we, we watched
0: it. Did yeah. it go down a storm? Hey. So
1: we didn't watch Batman Begins, but we watched. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Um,
1: no, I still hold a torch for it. Oh, okay.
0: a human torch. That's the yeah. thing.
1: That's the thing.
2: Um... <laughs> Make him stop. Um... Sorry, that
0: one was a bit of a stretch, if you ask me. They... I thought it
2: was um, The laughter
0: is invisible. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, the podcast is now doomed to this cycle of repetition. <laughs> but... It's a very storied discussion that we're having here. But yeah, again, same year as, say, Electra, which is the Rob Bowman movie starring Jennifer Garner. You know, the spin-off from Daredevil, which was itself not a good superhero movie the couple of years beforehand. um, you
2: remember Eon Flux, Charlize Theron's MTV-financed attempt at being a superhero? Same year. Awful.
0: Yeah, and like that that's it. It's like this is where these movies were. And so I wasn't particularly enthused or excited about it. Um and it was just a way to spend an afternoon. Mm. I remember kind of having my mind blown by how good it was, even seeing it with a matinee crowd on a work day. Um and just being kind of just swept up and it was like again like seeing the prestige I think the following year it was as as Alex kind of described it like a, a film nerd activation moment for me where it was like yeah movies are good this is this is good we should we t- I should maybe talk about movies more um but yeah it was just it was a huge kind of experience for me and it's kind of a, a, one of those film experiences that I do remember and obviously as as Andrew says I also remember three years later. Going to be the opening day of The Dark Knight and the experience that that was, watching that in the packed screen one of the Savoy, packed to the gills, it's 2,000 people in attendance and the crowd just going wild, uh, which is again just something I do kind of uh, cherish there. Um, all right then, so just in terms of, of kind of like basic background and basic context, just to explain kind of where Batman Begins kind of came from. As we said, like superhero movies coming back into vogue, Warner's eager to exploit their existing intellectual properties. Um, In particular, the two superheroes that they've had positive associations with in the past. So, you know, the Superman movies by Donner, the Batman movies by Burton have both made money, and they wanted to bring them both back. They would bring back, obviously, uh, Superman Returns, directed by Bryan Singer, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later on, because that's a very different approach to bringing back an existing property. But Batman went through various uh, permutations and possibilities. There were, first of all, suggestions about adapting Batman Beyond with the director Bose Yakin attached. Remember Bose Yakin?
2: The name rings a bell.
0: Remind me. No, just just more Yakin. Yes, tra- less trackin' I guess. I don't know. Um, but uh, there's no director Bose so Yakin.
2: So there is a director, but... <laughs> there is a director. Maybe he should do Les Wynan. And there is a director, Bose Yakin. Oh, he did remember the Titans. Yes.
0: And then you had like Darren Aronofsky coming fresh off Requiem for a Dream. Like he was attached briefly to a version of year one. That uh the details of that are very, very interesting if anybody is at all casually familiar with them. They would have reinvented Bruce as somebody who was, you know, poor, working from a garage operated by an African American who went by the name Big Al. Mm. Um that was apparently like part of Aronofsky's pitch for Batman. Uh, surprisingly, Warner Brothers were like, we- we'll think about it and we'll uh, we'll get back to you. Um, and then there was also kind of discussions around incorporating Batman into a larger ensemble. There were things like Wolfgang Peterson, the late lamented Wolfgang Peterson, was briefly considered to make a Batman versus Superman movie. I do back remember around, I, think,
2: I do remember that being talked about, that and the Aronofsky project. But it just seems it got caught up in development hell
0: and and the same thing with george miller's justice league mortal which would have starred army hammer as batman which is a very 2006 combination of come
3: on that that could have been great like the guy is obviously (laughs) that is his demons but like i do kind of think that would have been good casting
0: (laughs) would have been a role that he could have sunk his teeth into alex yes a batman
3: who wants to eat people yeah we would have all been on board for that and george Miller is like that would have been would have been
0: cool yeah it would have been, but I also worry about, like, Warner Brothers kind of noting him to death on that, because that's, like, that's before. 3,000
2: year ones of longing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and basically. As good as I got tonight. It gets to the point where like Warner Brothers are just like casting around ideas and are completely out of we've got no idea what to do with this property and like Nolan's agent Dan Aloni rings him up and says, "Look, it seems unlikely you'd be at all interested in this, but Warner Brothers like, <laughs> like no, it's like I don't know if this would you would this would be something that you would want to do, but like Warner Brothers really, really, really want a Batman movie." And like Nolan's like well look I I made in I made Insomnia with Warner Brothers. Uh that was a good relationship. I got on well with the studio. I'm currently working on this Howard Hughes biopic starring Jim Carrey. Uh that doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Uh Michael Mann has like come up and kind of said he's going to make another Howard Jim, Hughes
1: biopic. Jim Carrey is not sure if he is Jim Carrey anymore. Um and he's again like...
3: solid casting for the role mm. despite the actual <laughs> demons of the actor like <laughs> that would have been jim gary's howard hughes would work better probably than, than leo's like that would have been
2: <laughs> i like leo's though to be fair but it was michael man the michael man produced scorsese movie that kind of disrupted that that disrupted nolan's project going ahead And as you say, Darren, what probably got him in with Warner Brothers was the fact that he made Insomnia Hit, which was, of course, a remake of the 1997 uh, Swedish thriller with Al Pacino in one of his best performances of the new millennium. Not hard. Um, Also, uh, one of those great... (laughs)
0: Jack and Jill is a masterpiece. He's
2: really great in it, actually, and it pains me to say that, but he's good. He's given his all as Al Pacino. And also one of that, it's the one half of that great uh, year for Robin Williamson in which he played two really effective creeps uh, alongside One is Hour Photo. One Hour
1: Photo, yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, anyway, most importantly is that it's that rare thing now of a mid-budget uh, adult thriller. If Nolan made it into a hit. We only cost about $44 million, uh, I think think it grossed near 200 million dollars worldwide so which is
0: insane to believe it's like the the movie where robin williams plays a pedophilic murderer and it's like 200 million dollars worldwide so, uh, it's those um, were the days so. it's
2: an underrated <laughs> it's an underrated little film uh, easily the most uh straightforward chronologically and otherwise film well, that Nolan. it's the has only made.
0: nolan movie on which he doesn't have a writing credit now he did go back and he did polish the script and yeah. his fingerprints uh, are very much on H-Hillary it hillary the, the where,
2: uh, credited screenwriter but yeah as much as you might think it's uh straightforward and is, but it's a really effective little thriller. it's one of those films that if you see it on tv you sit down you watch it you watch all of it, it i really mm. like his version actually
0: and nolan's kind of talked about like the importance of insomnia to him as a filmmaker where it's like his argument and it's it's an argument that i kind of agree with having watched what the blockbuster industry has become in recent years where it's like you get directors now who are hired coming off of indies who have made movies that have budgets in the region of like 10, 18 million dollars and all of a sudden they're thrown in and they're managing these projects that are 200, 300 million dollars. Russo. Josh Trank is perhaps the most... Oh, okay, the Russos are one example but the Russos are an example of it working where the yeah. Russos turn in projects that make massive amounts of money and like go on to direct their dream projects like, I don't know, Cherry or The Grey Man. That's really depressing. What's that, like, John, Watts Rousseaus... coming up next? That's my <laughs> yeah, question. yeah. Yeah, Watts is another example going from Cop Car to the Spider-Man movies. Trank is, like, one of the famous terrible examples going from uh, Chronicle. Uh, Trevorrow
3: straight... with um, Book of Henry. Like, it's sort of like, oh, safe pair yeah. of hands. He does the Jurassic Park <laughs> movie. It's fine. And then it's like, oh, now I get to make what I really want. To like, the most demented film <laughs> <in> possible <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but, like, no, no, no one's one, going to make the No
2: one's argument. the only, probably the one who's made... He's one of the few who's got it right, but he's the one who's made the most of it. Quite clearly, but he doesn't make yeah. t- like like he's given. He doesn't make he, books of Henry for one thing.
1: Yeah, he's given an awful lot of leeway, and he doesn't completely squander it. I
3: actually, like, I'm sure Mm -hmm. we'll get into this, but I do think he kind of follows the, like, one for them, one for me pattern. It's just his one for me's are still kind of big, giant, you know, (laughs) films that everyone will go see.
2: And his ones for for them's are at least infused with enough of his sensibility to elevate themselves above the pack. Um, Yeah. It also helps that he's working for Warner Brothers, which as a studio have prided themselves on supporting their auteurs over <laughs> Kubrick, <laughs> Eastwood. Does that sound
0: you hear is Alex remembering and the Batgirl directors. <laughs> it's
2: true. Well,
3: it was true. Yeah, it was just, it was, yeah, it was true.
0: Uh, to a point. But hey,
2: who's to say that, uh, you know, they could change. Um, uh-huh. I Look, I, mean, I, ho- I hope for a day that Batgirl might get leaked.
4: I also, Can't I'm somebody who's read the like, No, no, no. Like, that's the whole thing. They accept the tax that...
0: write-off. They can never release it for profit. That's the point. They, they could screen it at, like... They're going to burn that, yeah. Yeah, that's it. They um. could screen it at, like, the Museum of Modern Art for non-profit, but they won't ever do that. It's in the... They could screen it like, Jerry Lewis's Day the Clown Cried, but they won't do yeah, that. Yeah,
2: those so, two are in the same vaults. You're never going to yeah. see it. That,
0: <laughs> so no, sometimes... you, will say they, you will see the Day the Clown Cried. That's going to get, a, like, a MoMA <laughs> That's release. more likely. No, it is. Yeah, that's coming out. But no, no, it's, it's in his will. It's in his will. Like he yeah. said, like it was eight years, wasn't it? Was that what was the. Once
3: I can no longer be shamed and yes. that I'm long <laughs> in the ground, feel free to release this <laughs> film to the public. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. How long have you got to wait? Whatever his death was, minus, like it was eight years after that, basically. So it was like it. So the countdown clock, which I kind of like that he specified. It's like. How exactly how long it is before it can ruin my legacy? Trolling from
2: beyond the grave. Who else could do it as well as Jerry Lewis?
0: But like, no one's argument is that making Insomnia, which is a low budget movie with a big star and a big studio behind it, like was a large part of what made doing Batman Begins possible because. He got to work with the studio and understand the back and forth with them on a project that was low stakes. And he got to prove that he could be counted on not to squander $20 million or $40 million before being given $170 million or whatever this was, which is doesn't happen anymore. Mm. And I think like if you look at the best blockbuster directors, like say Ryan Coogler, they're the ones who have that. Like Coogler goes from doing Fruitvale Station to doing Creed, which is now a mid-budget movie and then goes on to do Black Panther, that sort of thing. Mm. Whereas, you know, the directors who kind of get lost in the process are the directors who don't have that. Um, you know, like the, the guys who directed, or the pair the, who directed, as a Fleck and Bowden who directed, like, Captain Marvel, going from, like, Mississippi Grind to Captain Marvel. And it's yep. just, there's no sense of...
2: Like, know. like Captain Marvel is just... It's like Half Nelson and then on to, yeah, Half yeah. Marvel. Half Nelson's pretty damn good. and uh, I love Half Nelson. Yeah, yeah uh, Mississippi Grind as well. They also made a very sweet uh, baseball movie, Sugar. They all came, and then Captain Marvel is just a film that's so devoid of personality. And just like you say, they got lost in the system. Then again, is Marvel the kind of system that really just causes that these directors get lost anyway just because they don't have the experience of the studio system in the first place it just it'll some of that is to swallowing them up
3: yeah and some of that's probably like this was the template like this was the Batman Begins was the template for all of the Marvel films (laughs) this is how to do it right this is how to do it right exactly and that does fill into that whole Christopher Nolan like being and, and you mentioned at the start down like the, the the sort of like workman auteur who sort of immediately gets what the studio wants what he wants to do and that exact line of how far he can push and how far and like batman movie is right there perfect down the middle he's mm. making a film for kids for adults the studio like the people like people like us can talk about 20 years later and still be like yeah there's some interesting stuff in there like that's what he's best at that like Almost, you don't need the committee because you've got Christopher Nolan, and then Marvel. Their whole thing is like, well, let's get a committee of people to try and like ape that kind of st- approach and that kind mm. of style and everything.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of stewards kind of in 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 Marvel, where 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 I guess people feel kind of a certain amount of cynicism about like how much like I would say with something like um, Eternals, that was like Chloe Zhao, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if a committee agreed on that movie, <laughs> then, like, but I would again, be surprised. That's, be, but be, that's, me, not, a, that's I liked, not one that they had um, stakes in.
2: Like, that I wasn't lo- one that necessarily needed to be no, as big a hit as a Thor me, or a Captain America. Me, me,
1: but Thor or Captain America weren't really kind of much before kind of Marvel got the... the, the uh, before the movies. They were kind of second-rate, like, compared I suppose. to the Hulk and um, uh, Spider-Man and... But,
2: do you know what it is i think sorry darren i know we have to get back to batman at some point but i think as far as the marvel movies go i feel like when they're starting off with the hero they try and give it an individual flavor they get joe johnson into captain america they get brana in to give some shakespearean heft to thor and then once that's nailed down they feel they can jam whoever they want in and see what they get out of it um Uh, And I say
0: to derail this into the like the Marvel director podcast, but I, I like if I were arguing what I think happens is they it's a pendulum effect where they will get in directors. They will let directors, like, just a little bit more freedom each and every time until they reach a critical mass. And then they go, oh, God, no, this is disastrous. And they'll hire TV directors. So, like, for example... In the business, like, we call
2: that the way, T.T. effect.
0: But mm-hmm. no, but, like, it, it is. Like, you hire, so you hire, like, Whedon is a TV guy. He comes in and does your big crossover at the end. He punches up all your scripts. That makes so much money, you start to feel a bit more adventurous. You bring in, like, Shane Black, who's a movie director. You bring in, you hire Edgar Wright to make a movie. You're like, Patty Jenkins, she got a, she did a movie that won an Oscar. We bring her in... And then, like, you start getting dailies and scripts back from these people. You're like, that's not what we want at all. And so you just, like, fire uh, Wright. You fire Jenkins. And you replace Jenkins with a TV director. That's Alan Taylor from Game of Thrones. You start hiring. You bring in the Rousseaus to make the next Captain America movie. Uh, You have them make your Avengers movies. Then you start hiring kind of, like, directors again. So you go, okay, we need legitimacy. So we bring in Zhao, who's you know, goes on and wins the best director Best Picture Oscar and we're like we're going to give her freedom. You bring in Raimi who's this director who has a very distinct and stylistic personality. Wititi does Thor and it makes a lot of money so you get him back and he does Thor again but more Waititi-ish um, and then like you go on the internet and people are yelling at you about how these movies are like not what they want from these products From this, so you're like okay fine uh, we're going to hire uh, Matt Schenkman, the guy who did WandaVision, he's going to do the new Fantastic Four film so it's like every it's it's basically reactionary. That they make a bunch of money, they hire a bunch of directors, those directors well, scare them, and then they go back to hiring T V directors. It's well, so well, depressing.
3: It actually makes well. you um it makes you actually like want a sort of League of Shadows purge of, of, of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't deserve it, yeah.
1: I I guess people want kind of like a Dan Harmon kind of superhero. Uh, movie or movie, but he did.
0: He Dan Harmon did script editing on like Doctor Strange. Right, he did a pass on Doctor Strange.
1: But that they would, they, they, that they probably and and I, I, I think you can probably say the same with. And like, um,
0: Loki was Loki, and Loki and Multiverse of Madness were written by one of Harmon's proteges, like Mike Waldron,
1: Phoebe Mike, Waller like, Bridge as well in um, in she's doing Indiana um, Jones as, as, and Star Wars Solo, did a it? hmm she do some stuff? And a oh, bond, she just yeah. did. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah. Like, um,
2: they're trying things, but it's, like, what they have to do is, clearly what Warner Brothers did with Nolan, is that they committed, they got a vision and committed to it, and at least saw it through to the end of the story cycle.
3: But I, I also think some of that is because Christopher Nolan is the ultimate company man. He's the guy who gets the assignment and delivers perfectly, and I think that's why you give him the next two films. And, and to Darren's point when you have some of the filmmakers who are maybe trying to do something a little bit more interesting within a Marvel property, it doesn't work the same way. And I actually think that, but that's a slight and we'll get into it. I'm sure I do think one of the big criticisms of Batman begins is it is that um, perfectly formed company film, you know, it's, it's perfectly aligned to the marketing strategy, not necessarily a huge criticism for a giant film like this. um, But it, it does play into what I was saying earlier about Christopher Nolan being very aware of like, even his own filmography which is very distinct and personal every film it's very much a one for them one for me and even you know the ones for them are really they really are for them and he knows that and he gets it down um so yeah
0: all right and i mean and it is worth noting as well that like warner brothers kind of leaned into the strategy with snyder like when they came Mm. in like after nolan was done with these movies they were like let's let's this approach work well for batman what we need is another auteur with another very strong vision and stylistic sensibility and Nolan is like, you'll pay me a bunch of money, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, I pick that guy. It's that guy. Let's that's get,
1: the dude. Let's get the monster energy drink version of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> okay. Um, that's may, maybe
0: a bit unfair, but yes. like, and then so To you who? You Nolan
1: kind of or b- Snyder? <laughs> to everybody and, and to energy drinks, yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. The, 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 you know, the, it's, it's,
1: it's, it's Snyder, like, it's it's an it's, it's, distinctive kind of style, but it feels very kind of Can
2: argue with that. Yeah,
1: it 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 feels kind of early noughties, kind of new metal. Sort of a vibe, isn't it? Well,
0: it is like that. That's like his big his big break was three hundred, which like was notable again for extending summer back to, to like people wonder why Warner Brothers just kept writing checks.
2: That came out in March.
0: Yeah, that's it. it came out in March.
2: I remember March. they keep releasing Zack Snyder movies at my birthday weekend, and I can't help but take it personally. <laughs>
0: it's like one for it's not it's not one for you, one for them. It's one for me, one for Phil. That's how Snyder I don't works. want it. I didn't ask for this. But yeah, like that's the thing. That's why people wonder, like, why Warner Brothers kept writing Snyder checks even after movies bounced. And mm. it was like it's because Three Hundred opened in March and performed like a summer blockbuster. And it's like no director could do that. So Warner Brothers were like, let's try that again, and let's just keep trying. It's the Zemeckis thing we talked about off mic, where it's like, why do you keep giving Zemeckis movies to make movies like Pinocchio or money to make movies? Because like he movie.
2: made Black the Future and Forrest Gump. Yeah,
0: and like that buys him a ticket to ride for life, and and that did for Snyder for a very. Very long time.
1: All right, then. We're we're kind of stepping on Blank Check. (laughs) Blank Check's totes.
0: (laughs) Griffin Newman will be very angry. Uh, But yes, okay, fine. So before we jump into talking about Batman Begins in more depth in the spoiler zone, three questions uh, to get us started. So, Phil, do you think that Batman Begins belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made?
2: Uh, No. I... Really enjoy it. I love it. But if we're talking, and I always say this, if we're talking about the 200 greatest, 250 greatest movies ever made, da-da-da. Um, well,
0: we're not talking about it like that, Phil.
2: I am. Um, <laughs> hello to all you IMDB uh, voters out there. <laughs> Come at me. I
0: think it's an appropriate like,
1: level of disdain. <laughs> I, I support this. Thank you. Um, But,
2: it, like, the 250 greatest movies, that, like, across all the movies ever made, you've got, like, maybe one superhero movie in there. I know which one I'd put in. It's not this one, but I do like it. So, no, not that one.
0: No. Uh, and Alex, what about yourself? Do you think this is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yeah,
3: similarly. I feel like I always say the same thing on this. Where I'm like, no. <laughs> Me too. And then it's, it's yeah, it's, it's very hard. <laughs> um, no, I I would agree with, with um, um, Phil. Like, I, I think that... You know, it's not even the best Batman film, let alone superhero film. And you have to think how many of these are actually on there. And while I think it's direct sequel, it might be more of an argument for it and the effects and everything. But I don't think... I think, think you mean the here. third
0: best movie of all time, Alex.
3: <laughs> I'd imagine that's on there from the IMDb. <laughs> and I'd imagine that that is largely the reason this is on there. That yeah, might be the one I'd vote for, It though.
0: kind of coasts off this. So you're saying that this kind of rides the coattails of exactly. the Dark Knight.
3: I, actually... Is, like, are any of the early Burton films on the list as well, or, or are nope. they not? No, no none of the
0: Burton films. Well, keep, you got to keep in mind the Burton films were kind of polarizing at the time. They've only really been accepted in hindsight, particularly like Batman Returns was, like, negatively reviewed at the time and treated as the subject of moral panic. Now, they did make lots of money, but the internet nerds really, really disliked them. Uh, because they were like, no they weren't respectful to Batman's comic book origins. I mean, Mr. Mom, it's starring Mr. Mom. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and like, that would probably be. People
1: must have got over that. Fairly quickly though, right? The first one, like, certainly.
0: Well we've reached the point where like now we're getting nostalgic recasting of Michael Keaton. Or are we? Uh where Keaton's coming back and reprising the role. Not if Ezra as Miller has anything to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Never but, gonna like, see An- him back. Andrew, are, are you familiar with the whole the like again, this is probably just worth outlining for Andrew. Andrew doesn't care about this, but it's always fun to explain stuff that Andrew <laughs> doesn't care about. Um so Michael Keaton was supposed to reprise no, the role aware of Batman. Of it. Oh, okay. so, so,
1: sorry, sorry. I beg your pardon. I, I thought you were going to talk about. It. I I knew I knew that people reacted like that initially to to to, Keaton. Uh, to yeah. But it, it's interesting yeah. to keep in mind.
0: Um, uh, but like Keaton, Keaton is coming, supposed to be coming back. He's supposed to replace Ben Affleck as the Batman in the shared universe. That was supposed to happen in the Flash. Obviously, the Ezra Miller situation in the Flash has caused problems for Warner Brothers and their marketing. He was also supposed to play the role in Batgirl, which has now been canned. Uh, He filmed his appearance in Aquaman 2, starring Jason Momoa, except they had to go back and reshoot that with Ben Affleck, because apparently not having Batman in Aquaman 2 was inconscionable to Warner Brothers, which is something that says a lot about the the state of the industry in which we operate. Um, I would also
3: say, just um, not to get all boring IP lawyer on things, but there is rules around you having to use IP in order to actually... um you know, maintain it and actually keep your ownership rights to it. Like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies are largely a result of, shall we say, IP clauses and contracts rather than a huge demand. But Batman
0: is owned by DC, which is owned by Warner Brothers,
3: though. So surely that shouldn't apply then. (laughs) They're just doing this to be annoying. Yeah, Imagine being Michael Keaton, though, and like going through all that nonsense in the 80s and 90s, literally walking away from the franchise and then making this sort of proto absurdist comment on it with Birdman and getting like Mm. praise. A film where you know you hold a gun to your head and you shoot yourself, and then you wake up in the hospital bed, and then now you're Batman again. Like it's
2: that's a dark dollar dollar yeah. bill, y'all. <laughs>
3: and and big. then
0: like doing doing like doing doing Spider Man where you do a rip off of Batman, where like your entire premise you're literally is another
3: Birdman, and is it, it like that should be the Nadir, and then oh no, you're going lower than that. You're going <laughs> and then
0: to you Batman come back, again. yeah. And, and but you're also not going to be Batman again after agreeing to be Batman again. Yeah. Like like, all the
3: shame with none of the... All the shame with of none
0: glory. of the, <laughs> yeah, shame, but the glory. Yeah. But like, and it's great because like they ask him about it and he's it's like... the the no. Beetlejuice it
1: the squeeze? <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs>
0: well well played, Andrew. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I was like, why, why am I saying this? <laughs> I because to, the opportunity uh, was there. Yeah.
0: Uh, but like, yeah, like he's talked about how he doesn't even watch these movies. He just likes to live on his ranch. So I don't think it makes any difference to Michael Keaton whether it, this happens It doesn't happens make a not. difference, just,
2: but if he wants to maintain that ranch, he's got to make the money from
0: Oh no, he's so. already been paid for this stuff. He's not being right. paid like in residuals. Like so, this is this is arguably worked out the best possible way for Michael Keaton, where nobody. I'm delighted for Michael
2: Keaton. Like ever since Birdman, I am just delighted that the Keaton the Keaton assance is a thing that he's back. I mean, I remember when the Spotlight won Best Picture at the Oscars, and it just cuts to Michael Keaton getting up and just giving a fist bump. Yeah, like. God bless that man. Wasn't there man. a time
0: when he, he he almost lost Best Actor to Eddie Redmayne he did twice? Right? Oh, twice. No, yeah, but he lost. He almost lost to Eddie Redmayne twice. Oh, for twice. the Danish girl. He nearly did, For the yes. Danish girl was the other one, yes. That would have been particularly painful. Like, can you imagine losing to Eddie Redmayne twice? Anyway, sorry. Tangent upon a tangent upon a tangent. I
2: hate the thought of losing to Eddie
0: Redmayne, period. Anyway. Um, Andrew! Yes. Do you think Batman Begins belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made?
1: No, no, I don't. I, I, I don't think it's... I think it's, it's, it, it's very impressive, and it feels like the door is kind of opening a little bit to, like, maybe the, the, the visual style of uh, Nolan... But but it it doesn't feel like a fully fledged kind of Nolan movie, and I don't think it belongs to be on the um, list just because it it's a it's a, a Batman movie. It is very good, but it's it's not um, it's 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 nowhere close to as iconic as uh, the Dark Knight. I think the the um, the main villain I think is quite weak in this. Um and and then I don't I don't think even that you necessarily have to compare to um
4: uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, Joker. In,
1: or, or or indeed Jack Nicholson's Joker or like you you could compare it to 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 Danny DeVito's um. Penguin. Penguin. Penguin as well, yeah, yeah.
0: Did, I did, mean, you know, you also have, like, Tommy Lee Jones's uh, Two-Face, Edward... Yeah, you know, sort of all of those, like the, actually, ugh,
1: even if they peng- bad ones. Uma are,
0: are, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's enough. Sharon Stone yeah, but in, you know, all of those
3: but are quite distinctive like even their color are. palette is True. quite like memorable exactly. whereas Liam Neeson <laughs> in a you know bland dark gray suit and a twirly mustache I jacket, like it's him not.
2: I like him but we'll get into this in the
3: spoilers oh, i was
0: going to say we'll get into we we'll get into we will get into that but I think to be fair to give Nolan his due one of the one of the big criticisms of the Burton uh, Schumacher era batman movies was the idea that batman was much less interesting than his villains and i would maybe dispute that i think that like keaton's performance is great i think that his batman has an interesting inner life i think there's something to be said for playing him as a like a tim burton protagonist who wishes he was as weird as other tim burton protagonists um (laughs) but i do i think that one of the big knocks against those movies was the idea that the villains were like the stars of the they show the eye and that they tended thing. to overshadow. Well, yeah, they tend to overshadow Batman. Like Jack Nicholson was the star of Batman. His name was above the title. He collected all of the money. Um, he's still like, it's the most lucrative deal an actor ever. Struck. We talked about how on like, you know, Batman uh, and Robin, like, Schwarzenegger took home a $25 million payday for that movie. And his
2: is the biggest name on that poster. Yeah, as
0: well. Like, there is a sense that, like, Nolan is making a very deliberate choice to foreground Batman himself within this. Bruce Wayne, um, played by Christian Bale. I agree.
1: I I, I think even with that, though, that I, I, for me, the problem with the Bale movies is... Um, and I don't think this is, like... Um, a, a mistake that Bale is making. I think he's making a choice, but that that it, certainly Bruce Wayne for me anyway becomes, becomes sort of um like smaller than life. You know, that as 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 in um there is a, a a kind of a childlike quality to 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 the character. Of Bruce Wayne where 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 it's kind of like in a sort of an arrested development and I guess you see it a bit in the Batman but I thought it was more interesting there's a kind of a a, a sweetness or a, a loss kind of quality to to him where if you're if you're not going to kind of have the um, the big uh, villain you kind of want a, a big uh, Batman and a big uh, Bruce Wayne and I, I like, I, I i don't I, I i don't know if it fully delivers in this okay, like, and, i don't and, and know you, I, I... and and you see that with the kind of second and third movies where the the the, the villain really does kind of take over
0: well I mean okay well the, the, those are discussions for another time but it's worth yeah. noting that like Bale is all over the Dark Knight. I think something there's some absurd mm. statistic like Ledger is only on screen for 18 minutes in the Dark Knight, much like say Hannibal Lecter in The Science of the Lambs. That doesn't, I think, mean that the other character it's not is screen
1: time though. It's like screen, it's impact, uh, presence, and uh, impact. Yeah, not, not yeah. I whenever Pucci is not on screen, the other character <laughs> the should the characters characters <laughs> are exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but okay. I mean, I I, I, and, and I don't think I don't think Bale is bad, but it, it's not. It's, it feels
2: like it's not big enough or something. I, mean, I <laughs> would... I Sorry, uh, Darren, I cut across you there. Um, I uh-huh. would say, I think that's kind of the point, though. Where in Batman Begins, at least, you're looking at a Batman who is developing as he goes. He's effectively... Right. Like, when he starts off training, that's Batman in utero. So we have to... Yeah. Like, we're and discovering awesome. Batman along with him. And he's... We're not, it's he's not fully formed yet. So, if there's an idea of Batman not being big enough, I think that's at least part of the point. Yeah, as for the villain, I think that might be a matter of personal taste. But I think, even if you feel like the performance is a bit and the style of the villain, all of how he presents, how he looks, all of that is perhaps a bit too grounded, certainly compared to villains in other superhero movies, Batman or otherwise. I think that reflects into the better and the themes of Batman Begins, which I we have sure we will get into in more depth in the spoiler zone. But, um, but
0: I, I would also kind of push back and like I think what's interesting about the movie is is Bale, and I think that what's interesting about like Bale's interpretation of Batman is the idea of a imbuing this icon of pop culture with a humanity that you very rarely see in superhero movies yeah. where the character I mean, does have a psychology in an inner life like you never know why like michael keaton's batman is as freaky as he is um he's just freaky that's that's it and like other than that it's like val kilmer is just kind of there george clooney is just kind of there you know i mean most superheroes there's are a, just... a
3: great scene in like one of the early tim burton films where one of the girls he's sleeping with gets up and finds him hanging from upside his down. by a bar <laughs> upside down like a bat yeah no yeah. explanation <laughs> given to why that I... other than like oh i guess he's really into bats whereas like this is a film where a character literally says but why, why bats And he says well this me? is the reason and it's, again in that very christopher nolan way explains like with an yeah. xl sheath these are the reasons why i'm picking bats yeah
2: yeah like, like I, the I mean, question just... is what me the question that Batman begins is trying to answer is what where did Batman come from what makes him Batman and you get a definitive answer and I would agree with Darren there like you say in the Burton movies he's freaky cuz he's freaky he's a Tim Burton lead but I like the way that this goes about delivering its answer and I do like Bale's performance but I also think and I'm sure we'll get into this as well I think it's more of an ensemble piece than people give yeah. him credit for
1: the, I don't... I'll react a bit to what Darren said. I I I think there's an economy in the uh Burton movies. I I'm never not I the never wondered. No, no, no. I'm 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 saying I never wondered. I never needed to know. Why he slept upside down. Why is... is uh, it, Like, I understood. I feel like I understand.
2: But this is the, the movie that the, is setting out quite explicitly they, to explain and, and the point. That's the point. Exactly. And, and, and that's Using the, the title. that I don't
1: think is required. Like,
2: it, it's... Okay. It, and, and, well, too bad you, you think it's required. It's what you're getting. You've bought the ticket. We, you saw it says we, Batman oh, Begins.
1: Oh, yeah, but... We, we get a very kind of callow um, Batman and it's interesting, but but it, it, it...
3: No, I'd see what you... It's it's a little like revealing The Wizard of Oz. It's a little like, oh, this is exactly why he does all these things. These are his ears that he's ordered from the Chinese company. This is how yeah. his, you know, Batmobile works and he actually, it's a recommissioned tank from, that used to lay... This, is, like, this all of that is why stuff.
0: his gloves have scallops on them. Like yeah, the movie exactly. explains why his gloves have scallops on them. And That's like, the level of detail that it goes to. It makes to.
3: sense in a way to go that way after the four much more over the top films in the 90s yeah. but I, I actually do agree with andrew in that it does mean that it's all a little less mysterious and a little less fun
0: i mm. i kind of okay to, to push that again this is weird how it's it's team team uh, <laughs> we're and we're not even in the spoiler zone
2: film. yet and we haven't but, even answered but, all three questions <laughs> but
0: the, the thing tangents that i would people. go to about tangents upon tangents the thing that i would go to on this is the idea that like you're reaching a point where these these movies are going to take over pop culture. They're on the verge of taking over pop culture. We're on the verge of there being 20 or 30 of these seemingly coming out a year. 50 hours of Marvel content in the past 18 months alone. You're at the point where you're on the verge of this thing becoming the default mode of Hollywood storytelling. And with Batman Begins, you have an attempt to look at it and go... But what if you ask questions about it? What if instead of like one, just accepting these things as markers of intellectual property, uh, like bat-shaped containers, IP-shaped containers that you can franchise and special effect and make a, a billion movies, a billion dollars off. What if you actually try to understand what you can do with these things? What if you test the limits of them? What if you explore why they are the way they are? What if you apply something resembling psychological realism to them as much as it is possible to extend psychological realism to a movie about a man who dresses up as a bat and I think that like so Batman is like one of the most iconic characters in pop culture he is by the time that this movie comes out like his symbol is ubiquitous like they were able to sell the 1989 Batman movie off like the bat logo on posters that is how like much a part of pop culture Batman is and I find it fascinating that like despite that nobody ever really asked Why bats, Mr. Wayne? Nobody really tried to explain that. Like, you go back to, like, the late 1930s, early 1940s when he's created. You have, like, Bob Kane. It's like, just Batman sounds like a cool name. His original concept is, like, he'd dress in red and he'd have, like, a domino mask. And isn't until, like, Bob Finger comes along and he starts going, okay, Batman, he's going to have bat-themed, you know, things like a bat signal or a bat cave or, you know, Batmobile. All this sort of stuff that they kind of lean into the bat motif. And like it it you know when when it comes to explaining his origins like it's like oh well Bruce Wayne is an orphan and he traveled the world and he learned all these arts and he trained his body to peak mental and physical perfection and uh one day a bat flew in through the window and i guess that's why he calls himself batman and like you you have throughout the history of the character That moment of the bat flying through the window is mythic. I mean, obviously, like, Frank Miller goes back to it in both, like, The Dark Knight Returns, uh, and also in, like, you know, Year One, where he plays that and kind of he turns the bat into this big, monstrous thing, and it's mythic, and it's epic, and it's, it's easy to see why it would make an impression on Bruce. You know, that line, I shall become a bat, becomes this kind of mantra. But it also, it's always been kind of trite, kind of simple, kind of obvious, kind of convenient. Um, for like what is a hugely important part of a hugely important character and like I mean you have like Grant Morrison uh, and their run kind of runs in parallel with Nolan's films it's an interesting counterpoint to read it's arguably one of the great modern superhero comics one of the great like mainstream superhero comics of the 21st century and even in that you have like I think in, in the butler did it the kind of like the Batman R.I.P. tie-in you have like a whole couple of pages devoted to jokes about like well what if something else came in through the window well then I guess he wouldn't be Batman he'd be the grasshopper or the sidewinder or whatever and it's just something that was was never really explained and while I get Andrew's point that you you don't have to explain it it, it's kind of interesting that Nolan's like no 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 we are actually going to explain the psychology of this and like I find myself re-watching this I, I find myself deeply frustrated with so many of the superhero movies that have followed where it's like, it's, it's Ant-Man, he has a shrinking suit because he met a dude who had shrinking technology and now he's a superhero. And it's like, uh, yeah, but what, what is his motivation? Like, what, what does he want? What is his deal? What is going on inside his head? It's like, he met a dude who had shrinking technology, the movie's called Ant-Man, what do you want from us? Um that sort of thing it's like Captain Marvel it's like, uh yeah what what does she want? It's like uh she she yeah, uh, she's a soldier, she got trained to do this stuff. It's like, yeah, but what does she want? and it's like, she's a soldier, what do you want from us and it's like I look at something like Batman begins where there is an attempt to rigorously understand and explain like an understanding that this is unusual, which is like these things are the default mode of like Western cinema at the moment and to go no, but Obviously, nobody's going to dress up as a bat and prance around on rooftops. That's, you know, completely, that's a figure of fantasy. But why would you want to dress up as a bat and prance on rooftops? What would it take to get a person to the point where they thought about dressing up as a bat and prancing around on rooftops? If our like, if our psyche is obsessed with this stuff, if we're going to keep churning out movies like this about these fantasies... What what is it like? What is it that draws people to them? Why are they attracted to them? What is going on inside this? What happens if you try and apply a level of scrutiny or awareness to this movie that just you know nobody's tried before and very few have tried since? And I I think that's commendable and I think that's rare. But no, I do not believe that this belongs on a list of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies ever made. I was um, I
2: was going to say just to back you up that I mean that is clearly the intent they're going with when they cast yeah. the lead of American Psycho as the most memorable American psycho in American pop culture, I want that di- attempt at a deep dive. So I'm glad and, we and, have and, it this way.
0: And, and like, I mean, it would be something if this... He's w- definitely trading off that, too. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: That's what I imagine that's what got him the role. Yeah.
0: Um, and, I mean, like, it, again, it is kind of just... Worth stressing the fact that this is like the rare example. There is this isn't the default mode of superhero blockbusters going forward. Iron Man isn't particularly interested in the idea of why Tony Stark builds a suit of armor or why he flies around in it as opposed to I don't know building a drone instead. That sort of stuff. Like I, I. It feels like this is a limit case in terms of and, it, and I, I appreciate it as that. I
1: think you can answer those questions in those movies, but they don't but try. The movie isn't obsessed. With with kind of answering those those questions like in in minute detail, and it's okay that this movie kind of wants to do that, um, and it's kind of satisfying in its own way. But I I, 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 I don't know if um, yeah I I I I think the way Alex put it was 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 quite um, it was quite it was quite a good way of putting.
2: It. I think then we're at that level though we're getting into just more. Uh, personal taste, really, more than anything else. I like that yeah. level of detail, and I prefer that approach to what Darren described in even the first Iron Man, which is fun, but I have never had a nursery rewatch <clears> it <throat> since the first time I saw it, whereas I've seen Batman Begins many times at this point, and it's because I get a story, and I get that level of detail which I like to immerse myself in. And I think as well... Like... Now, and I say I say that as as recognising as a product of a studio that is still very much fitting in with player ambitions, but I think at least it does it quite well. Sorry, Alex.
3: No, I agree. And I think the only thing I'd add is that in comparison to something like Iron Man, which is, you know, it opens in Afghanistan and its hero is a weapons arms dealer, whereas in Batman, there is at least some sort of, you know... Uh, engagement with like oh uh, i'm gonna sign up to a fascist society well actually maybe i don't want to be that fascist (laughs) and then like in the next two he's literally kind of struggling with like
0: how fascist am i
3: (laughs) great news alfred i'm yeah i'm gonna just spy on everyone forever and literally the third film ends with him leading an army of cops into like occupy wall street like (laughs) so there's a lot of (laughs) stuff there that at least i think in the nolan films are at least like presented as like this is interesting, isn't it? Like, ambiguous. oh, he's going to redemption, redition Someone is that too far? Like, there's a lot of stuff like that. Whereas in Iron Man, it's you know, like you know, lots of Joss Whedon dialogue and
0: yeah, cheer as he flies halfway around the world to murder random strangers. Exactly. Like, there's a it's point in the horrible. middle of it where he just flies over to Afghanistan and murders random people, and you're meant to cheer about it. Um, like that's the thing about these. If I were constructing oh, wait, an, we, okay, okay, I
1: mean, I mean, the um, if you were, if 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 I. <laughs> It, it's uh it, it, yeah sorry sorry I mean, I, um it's 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 the idea that you're not like murdering a whole lot of um that is it, that there's no like kind of collateral damage um to to like i i i would be quite happy if someone could fly to the other side of the world and um kill a terrorist, but it doesn't really solve anything. Yeah, you don't want Elon Musk to do it. Yeah. Well,
0: maybe not a maybe, I'm about to say not, not, not a private individual, though. Like, if a yeah. private mm. individual does it, I'm deeply uncomfortable. Like, that's, like, the, I feel that's
2: like, what I like about Batman, about, this, about the Dark Knight trilogy, is that it is actively and repeatedly making the point that Batman is a vigilante who is operating outside the law. Yet, I, the law yeah. kind of ropes him in on their side, so to speak, but he is still not the law. And like, They like the work with him out of, out of necessity, and the most damage he does in Batman Begins
3: is arguably to the Gotham police force because he like <laughs> yeah, Blues Brothers yeah. style smashes <laughs> yeah. their in, like entire fleet. True, all to like save his ex girlfriend. Like it's very yeah. like alright petty, man.
0: but but like that that's the that's the thing about these movies because if I were to make an argument like for Batman Begins being on the list, it would be as part of the trilogy, as part of the set, and of the set as a whole. Yeah, like reflecting like being one of the landmarks of American blockbuster cinema mm. and kind of like capturing a mood because this comes out, was it like, you know, the first year of George Bush's second term? It comes out like a year and a half after the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which we talked about. We talked about the Lord of the Rings at Christmas and those are like hallmarks of the early, like post 9-11 Bush era where it's this epic battle between good versus evil and audiences kind of respond to that. Critics glom onto it. You have this whole big thing where they become like a right wing kind of like, you know, Republican Party, like benchmark of... Of like, we are going to these lands to defeat these horrible people and instill righteous, you know, virtue in good cause or in just cause in this war that we're waging. And then you have Batman begins. And as Alex says, like, the central thesis of these movies is the question of: is Batman a good idea? Is the power fantasy of Batman a good idea? Are superheroes a good idea? Are what superheroes represent in American consciousness, which is a reflection of American self-image and American power abroad? are they good ideas as well? And like, how do we unpack and how do we explore that? There's a real ambivalence about superheroes in these movies that I, I really like and really respect. And I think watching the three of them back to back, I kind of really admire, but we'll get into that later on. Um, Phil, is this on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite
2: um, On its own, reflecting what you just said, on its own, no. But as a part of the trilogy, perhaps, I always, t- I actually must admit, I do tend to think of them together. And I think the stories of all three are enriched in that context. Enriched? Enriched. What am I talking about? It's late. Bigger. Um, bigger. In, in big in big, in,
0: even the smallest Batman.
2: I am being perfectly crumulant. Um, <laughs> I think that Batman Begins is a great opening act to a bigger story. And I think it lays down its characters quite well. I think it delivers the required bang for your buck. And, um, yeah, on its own, probably not. Still a good time at the movie. so. But, again, if I wanted to look at it as part of a trilogy on its own then yes and that's a cheat so i'm going to say no lest i be accused of uh, massaging the list or my own personal list for my own personal leads
1: which i can do it is
0: it is, it is your list that's why we asked the second question in that case um, yes
1: imdb can go home you, but I, I you get to go home with it after the uh after the podcast it's
2: yeah. more than i go home with most nights
0: um alex uh is this on? we'll your... pay for a date okay um alex, why do you if... think i moved okay uh alex we're gonna try this we're gonna take this from the top alex is it on your Can own I personally? clarify something okay. when i okay. said
1: we'll pay for a date i don't mean um, okay. <laughs> i mean in the sense of blind date okay um all right, right all right all right all right that, that's that's not uh sorry sorry i beg your pardon can I, I get ones like Bruce Wayne
2: has? Out. Can I have the okay. two of them sit in each other's lap in my Lamborghini, and they can go swim in the decorative pool?
3: Okay, Darren's, they look like Darren's fun. Darren's hearing like Alfred level levels of frustration. Still
2: haven't given up on us, have you, Darren?
0: Never.
1: Um, Yourself and Batman Begins are going to go on a holiday in the Algarve, and we'll have a, 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 a like a, a short video clip of of how that went, and then we'll ask you.
0: Yeah. Um, Moving on. So, Alex. Would Batman Begins be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies?
3: No, it wouldn't. Um, similar to um, what Bill was saying there, like, I'd be similar. I the, the best time I saw this was when I was young and dumb and excited in the cinema. And I think I saw this in Barcelona and, and and with a couple of friends and my brother. And it was, you know, everything I wanted it to be at that exact moment. And every subsequent viewing, I've been a little bit like, huh, I remember that being, you know, slightly better or slightly more cohesive or something. Um, it's it's good and I'm sure we'll get into it. Like I i it sounds like I might be one of the more negative people on it, but to be <laughs> clear, I'm only criticizing because I think it's worthy of like a certain level of engagement and everything. But um yeah, like the times I've rewatched this since then it's it's always been um oh yeah. And it's always been in the context of I think I would have rewatched it when the Dark Knight came out. I I remember my brother suggested this crazy thing the lighthouse were doing where you could go see it at like two AM or three AM the night it came out. Uh and we went and did that um, because, you know, we were stupid. <laughs> and I guess we didn't want spoilers or something. But I remember, like, the subsequent day in work just being, like, so exhausted. But being like, no one's going to spoil Batman for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's remember, the real like, winner here. Yeah, yeah the, the taxi driver being like, because it was 3 a.m., like, airport lads, right? And we were like, no, we're, we're going to the cinema. <laughs> but um, So, yeah, I... No, it wouldn't be on my list. I, I, there might be an argument for maybe the Batman Returns. I've always got a soft spot for that, um, just because it was like a wildly inappropriate film for a child yeah. to be exposed to. It. <laughs> no, you and Darren should so, like, do <laughs>
2: lunch. That's something in common. <laughs> yeah,
3: and um, yeah, for that reason, I, I, I think if there would be any Batman film on it, it's, it's not going to be this one. So.
0: Um, and Andrew, what about yourself?
1: I think I would and I, I i thinking about it i feel like there would be a lot of batman movies on my 250 yes. as in like a kind of the 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 tim burton batman would be yeah. and maybe so would the batman and i think i would put the 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 three nolan movies and a whole lot of other um non batman nolan <laughs> movies too so yeah like 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 i i i watched this not for the podcast. I um uh recently. I think last year I watched I watched the the kind of Nolan trilogy of um like uh, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises as well.
0: One of my big suspense argue- we You and I have argued about the Dark Knight Rises in the past, and I have a very strong reading it, and you had a very strong reading it. I'm kind of I'm both terrified and excited to hear what you thought of that i'm not sure I've now i the time. what
1: my okay. i don't I, it's not like i don't care enough about my take to
0: to, to
1: to to retain my own thoughts about
0: it. <laughs> i do remember um, at one point you were like we should talk about obi-wan kenobi i have some thoughts and i'm like okay when do you want to do it? it's like i've forgotten what my thoughts were yeah. <laughs> pretty much I'm like
1: it's, it's, um but um, I think I remember what my obi-wan stuff was um okay. but the yeah i I would I would kind of put this on, but it would be it would be on because of those other two movies i I, 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 I think like controversially maybe I like Dark Knight Rises more than um than this, than this. I think this is great though yeah and, and Title like wise, I, it always
3: I, annoyed me like I think this one should be called the Dark Knight Rises. The middle mm. one be called Dark Knight, and then you come up with like the Dark Knight Returns or something with the yeah. third one.
0: The Dark Knight is back. Dark Knight ends. Yeah. yeah, spoiler alert. Uh,
1: dark. But... Yeah, the Dark Knight Revenge. The, <laughs> um, no, I I, I, I f- can't I believe f- it's like, not the Dark Knight. I the, the uh, I I think Dark Knight Rises is uh, Batman's kind of apotheosis though. Um,
0: yeah. That's a that's a conversation to get into when we talk about that. Yeah. But yes, it is. It's see you in two years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't talk about Batman outside of Batman Day. Those are the rules, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we are superstitious and carrot. Well, not.
2: we've been here a lot of this day already. So,
0: yeah. um, and and for myself, uh, yes, uh, unequivocally. Like that's the thing. I uh, Alex, I think when we had you on talking about Fight Club, when we asked, was that on your two fifty? You're like, yeah, all of Fincher's movies except maybe Mank are on my two fifty. Um, yeah,
3: and maybe Benjamin Button. Um, <laughs> I don't care for that one either. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's like, yeah, most of Nolan's movies are on My250. There, as Andrew said, there is a lot of Batman on my 250. I am a big Batman nerd. The 1960s one. The, 66,
1: there, the, the, 66, the 66.
0: 66 movie is just a joy. The animated one. The Mask of the Phantasm is on there as well. Batman Returns is on there. Yeah. Um, Batman Begins, the trilogy is on there. I don't know about the other ones. I don't know if the Batman's on there yet. I don't know if uh, um, the original. Hey, so- buddy, did you get a look at the nerd? Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, so I've got like an animated Batman, a 60s Batman and Batman Returns so it's like horny and wholesome at the same time uh, no, which is what you want
1: no bvs dodge what about <laughs> dead batman i i'm sure you've already answered this
0: well i kind of i said yeah so i'm not sure right. the batman needs time i'm one of those guys who has like the five-year rule before like i, I want to get a bit of distance from something before i declare it a classic. no such thing
1: as an instant classic yeah that's leonard malton feels the same
0: way yeah, i well that's where he stole it from me like me and me yeah. and lenny were like yeah Um, And and his
1: look, Um, (laughs) no, sorry, Uh, no, you have (laughs) similar facial.
0: And 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 like as we've talked about before Mm. in the podcast, like I'm I'm a big blockbuster guy. I like populist cinema. You know, for all the people kind of caricature me as somebody who kind of overthinks things or thinks too hard about movies. I like when stuff explodes good on movie screens. Um, I like a good crowd pleaser. I like a movie that takes the crowd with it. I like blockbusters in particular that are like well crafted and thoughtfully made. And like, you know, are designed very carefully, shot very well, look really good and are just propulsive and go. And like, that's the thing about Nolan. Why Nolan is, you know, probably my guy. You know, I, I love like, I don't know if I have a favorite living director, Spielberg, Scorsese, Fincher, all good candidates. But why Nolan is probably the guy I keep gravitating to is because Nolan does that. Nolan is like unashamedly one of the best blockbuster filmmakers out there because he makes movies that are just fun and, like, thoughtful and don't condescend to the genre and kind of have these high concepts that are explained very, very well and are designed for, like, everybody in the audience. I mean, Alex pointed out, like, this is a perfect movie for 12-year-olds. It's also a perfect movie for my gran. Nolan's kind of talked about how he wanted to design it so that this was accessible to kids. He wanted it to be a PG film. He wanted to push the violence as far as he could because, like, kids actually love seeing violence on screen, but he also didn't want to end up with a rating that would preclude children from seeing this movie and then like you know people talk about how the part of the movie that doesn't feel Nolan-esque is like the extended 30 minute climax at the end which is just action sequence action sequence action sequence um, as opposed to like a high stakes shell game or kind of high concept set piece like other Nolan movies but like Nolan's talked about how that was him Goyer wasn't sure about the climax of this movie, but Nolan was the one who was like, no, I want to shoot an old-fashioned blockbuster, third-act, bombastic climax that just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating, in part because, you know, audiences will love it, but in part because I want to make a blockbuster movie, and blockbuster movies have that in them, so we have to come up with a way to justify that. And I just, that's infectious to me. Like, Batman Begins is beginning to end a more fun a more satisfying a more well constructed blockbuster than like ninety five percent of superhero movies ninety five percent of all blockbusters it's you know just it's it's the it's a perfect blockbuster for me and i I say that knowing that like the next movie is an even more perfect blockbuster as well but sorry uh Phil, if listeners have not seen Batman begins uh would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device
2: uh yeah uh, or on DVD or Blu-ray if you're uh a, if you're a luddite like me. Uh, however, you watch it, watch it. Um, I think it's great fun, and I like to think that. And certainly, if you do uh what I do sometimes, I find there's a lot of uh reactors on YouTube and things like that now, where they go back and watch these kinds of movies, and it's always a delight to see that they go and watch this, and they're absolutely delighted what they find. It is just a solid economic retelling of a story that hasn't been addressed very much on screen before, even though it's such a part of American pop culture lore at this point. And um, yeah, um, I think it's accessible. I think it's fun. I think it's quite well made. So yes, absolutely.
0: And by the way, we should note that uh, as we're releasing this on Batman Day, again, the holiday that it is, the entire trilogy has been released and remastered for cinemas. It will be releasing in the UK and Ireland exclusively in 4DX. (laughs)
4: <laughs> Ooh, 4DX. So you
0: can, yeah, you can experience the Nolan trilogy in 4DX in City World. I do wonder what the bat, what the Dark Knight Rises will be like. The bit where it's like, which will break first, your body or your spirit? Crack. Or that, like, twenty minutes later, um, you've got the vertebrae exposed. You're going to have to pop that back in. I just like, Ooh. does does
1: Bruce Wayne, um, uh like, do, do, does he foul himself when um, <laughs> Bane is doing that? And do you smell it in in yeah, the cinema? Yeah.
0: Smell it. Like, they should give you a little mask to just pump pain medication into your that, face. Much like Bane's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: I remember. Bane like, was wearing a mask and was afraid of bats long before anybody else. Bane knows does what's the up. narrows
1: Does the narrows smell like rubbish? that's the the, question you
0: you imagine there's a committee meeting of men in lab coats with Mm. like little notepads kind of trying to figure out what the narrow smells like sorry Alex
3: no I was going to say like similarly 40x uh, like haven't been in years but every now and again when there would be a showing at the exact right time you'd end up like okay and you go in and there's (laughs) yeah but the worst experience I've ever had was I went to go see 1917 in 40x (laughs) which (laughs) seems so disrespectful (laughs) <laughs> the war dead um but it's oh, also jeez. a film where nothing happens uh that remotely needs 4dx for the first you know 40 minutes or so until that is a character trips on a landmine and it's just enough time for you to forget that you're in a 4dx cinema and you're just watching a normal film and then a character trips on a landmine and the cinema exploded and it was full of smoke and there was like lights and i was like <laughs> <laughs> so i'd imagine yeah that batman the dark knight rises in memory of similar. all our war dead lest we forget <laughs> that's Shock. dreadful
0: um I, I do love the idea that, that was a special remembrance day re-release as well just to properly kind of like
3: <laughs> everyone in
1: poppies yeah. yeah yeah i was thinking that is that that's part of the 40x thing that like a pop a poppy, a poppy like materializes in the, <laughs> yeah. yeah this is what they died um, for yeah
0: um but Alex, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners, whether in 4DX or in just in regular 2D, uh, watch Batman Begins?
3: Yeah, no, I would. Um, I think it's it's a great sort of, you know, it, it, for all the reasons I imagine we'll talk about in more detail, it's quite interesting in some of the themes it reflects from 2005, particularly like US movie making. Um, I think it's interesting in Christopher Nolan's career. Again, I imagine we'll get into more detail on that. And then just in a sheer technical perspective, it's actually... Like a film that's worth watching. On, I mean, I'm a, I'm a 4K nerd at the moment, but um, it was shot on 35 millimeter. Christopher Nolan did a extremely like director approved, good um sort of, um coverage of the actual release. Uh, on so it it looks it still looks great, and it's a film that doesn't necessarily show off special effects. And for that reason, I think um when the you know it, it looks so slick and everything like that. So yeah, I would say just. It's definitely one to check out for all the other reasons I already mentioned. Particularly, even if you're just setting this as the intro to the next two, which are definitely worth checking out.
0: Um, and Andrew, what about yourself?
1: I would, I would. I, I, I think um, it it it's a terrifically well-made film. We we get to see kind of some of the um, like stylistic kind of choices that that. Um, that Nolan makes we learned that he likes glaciers
0: and um, yes in, uh, I, have... I have an entire section on glaciers people are going yeah. to be very excited about this And they,
3: they, they... there were some glaciers now in insomnia like I think we got some indications there were, there were indeed and they, oh, that's and right. they obviously Sorry. pop up
0: again in, in, in interstellar as well and, and, stuff yeah. like. and... and inception like he's talked about how much he loves glaciers glaciers are they amazing. look he, terrific he's... the way
1: yeah. he shoots them
0: as well like, there's an entire section in like is it tom sean's book the nolan variations where they talk about how much he loves glaciers it is the best i love that book so I'm much not, if um, only you
2: could preserve them as well as he could uh, film legacy like but, yeah, but like okay,
0: the whole thing, thing with like glaciers is that glaciers are lenses andrew you see so they're both the object mm. and the object that you see the object through and that is what fascinates nolan about them thematically um, sorry, are also is quite most...
3: cold and chilly much like <laughs> Nolan
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I feel
1: like that's kind of yeah that's maybe fair they, they, he'd probably um, admit as much himself
0: I mean there's also the whole time thing where kind of glaciers they both like trap objects in them forever and they move very slowly and they're kind of immune to the ravages of time which is Nolan's big thematic preoccupation I, th- I, I, and... I,
1: I, I think he has uh, to some extent kind of at least prove that he can if he wants to overcome that um, uh, criticism. I, 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 I think Darren and I agree that 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 some of his movies are very deeply moving. Um, but, 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 but. But I mean, I'm also
0: I, a cold glacier of a human being, so it's obviously <laughs> that, my, my empathy extends very is, much in that direction. That,
3: that, that is that goes back to what I was saying about one for us, one for them. Like there are like glacial films, and then there is like Interstellar, like more warm films, more interesting.
1: <laughs> films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but and but he also has like the the, the kind of like um, that sort of exploding building shot that we get like later on in in Inception. It feels yeah um, the bit where
0: the temple like where the temple explodes exactly. here feels like it's a rehearsal for that. Mm. But it's not just that in this
1: movie. There 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 are some well, I mean, great the- performances as well. Now, like I I I think Michael Caine is terrific. The soundtrack. I think it it it's it's starting to kind of like build the case. I feel to for, um, poor Hans Zimmer, to to um to well, have those very of kind of career, like yeah. yeah yeah to have those very echoic um Hans Zimmer scores that um like with Inception and Interstellar, and 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 that this is maybe less intrusive, I guess. But it but it it, it it's it's it, it's very well done. It's quite subtle, I think. I mean, it's, it's subtle is maybe the wrong word for it because it, it, it is... Uh, uh, it's
0: maximalist. It's a blockbuster, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But at well, the same time, I think his maximalist tendencies, and I was going to say maybe more about this later, but they are balanced out by the fact that he's only co-composer. Thank you, James Newton Howard, for introducing some subtle uh, string motifs uh, to offset that kind of bombast. Yeah. That's all I got to say on
0: it. And, it, and it kind of speaks to how the kind of the movie is dedicated to the, like the duality of Batman, the psychology of this character. That like the reason for that is that like Newton Howard is composing for Bruce Wayne, and Zimmer is composing for Batman. So you have this very elegant piano kind of delicate, childlike music for Bruce, and this very blunt, you know, bass pumping like theme for Batman and like throughout you have the two kind of in conversation with one another i think like even in the dark knight at the moment where like bruce is trying to get to rachel you have the two themes playing against each other cuz like it's the duality of batman and like it's it's not the most subtle nuanced sophisticated kind of like motif in the world but it's it's just clever storytelling through the means of film in a way that blockbusters don't don't usually do uh, so, sorry alex did I, did I cut you off no no I mean, me um alex no. yeah there I, are I, you. I mean yeah it, it it is it is, it is <laughs> worth noting again this is the point where you start to see a lot of the Nolan regulars come into to circulation it's, it's ended by Lee Smith for example he worked with Wally Pfister on Insomnia he carries him over he becomes like his default cinematographer for a little while you obviously again you mentioned like Hans Zimmer he starts replacing David Julianne in fact I think like Zimmer produces uh, Julianne's score for The Prestige if I remember correctly as well he has like a producing credit on it and like this is the point where obviously Kane comes on board mm. and Kane becomes like Nolan's like lucky charm has appeared in all of Nolan's subsequent films as well so it is kind in of in one way or another yeah so i think i think you're right to sing to single this out as a, a movie that is important in terms of situating nolan's philography and his development as a kind of an artist and
1: and killian murphy i should have mentioned yes, i I, well. I i really really like Killian murphy in this um and and he becomes a a, a Nolan, regular a uh, regular as well yeah
0: I mean he's starring in Oppenheimer it's really odd that like yeah. he's been this fixture throughout Nolan's career and it's like he finally circles around into giving him a lead role it,
1: like he absolutely didn't need to be in Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises like no one but he did really been
2: which I quite like but yeah like. no
1: he he, he 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 was and, he, and, and, and it was good but, but and and uh, but that's maybe a mark of um, how much Nolan likes uh, Killian Murphy.
0: And um, the idea that he likes having collaborators around. Like He's talked about this. Like yeah. He likes having a team around him. And again, maybe we'll talk about this when we talk about the film itself, like its themes and stuff. But he likes having a team around him in large part because if you're working with those people over time, you develop a rapport. And he, he says that it makes conversations less confrontational. If you have like a production team that you know and trust, they can challenge you and it doesn't feel like uh, somebody is calling you out. It doesn't feel confrontational. It feels more like yeah. we're working in this together and we have a relationship. Like, it's notable that, like, Bale goes on to be the lead in The Prestige, which is his next film as well, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, anyway, sorry. But yeah, for myself, I would, would wholeheartedly and completely recommend this. Uh, it was a joy. I, revisiting this, I, I just, I like blockbusters. I like big... Hollywood Productions. Um I obviously love superhero movies when they are good. I love Batman. It contains I love Nolan. It contains all of the things that Darren likes in a movie. Um, I just found it a joy from beginning to end, and I found revisiting it kind of a joy from beginning to end because it's it's only at this stage, what, seventeen years? Sorry, not seventeen, it's sixteen years old now. No, and se- it feels Seventeen. Seventeen years mm-hmm. old. And it feels like, it exists from an entirely different world. They do not make blockbusters like this anymore in terms of, like, its use of actual locations, its use of practical effects, uh, its use of, like, actual costume. Even costumes don't really exist in the way that they do in this movie. It has a tactile quality that I just kind of love, and I associate with, again the era when I began to love movies. So like going back and revisiting it this week and revisiting the entire films in the trilogy, it was again that kind of nostalgic going back and, and remembering, oh yeah, this is what I used to love about big budget American crowd pleasing cinema. So yeah, I would wholeheartedly then, and unreservedly, oh sorry.
1: I, w- I, w- I would say that, that something like Grey Man <laughs> does, <laughs> does that kind of blockbuster thing but just is not He um, has and, no and, idea how it, to do it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's they feel it's, flat it's, and artificial compared to this.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it has the texture of this. I don't think like you no, look it at doesn't. Pictures, cinematography here, like modern blockbuster
1: filmmaking, no rough edges. Yeah. But what what you were talking about, kind of uh, kind of a blockbuster doing, as in like you know going to kind of like locations and yes. kind of and having that that kind of sense of the the kind of large scale movies do do that these days, but. Um, maybe not as sophisticated as this certainly not as.
0: well again this this has a very much a feeling of something like a lucas or a spielberg blockbuster and we'll maybe talk about that in terms of when we get into the spore zone in terms of theme but it does feel like it's it's this kind of like again nolan's talked about how when he was making it his touchstone was donner's superman from 1978 which was his own superhero film and it's kind of weird that it just it it has that sense of being a very classical blockbuster in a way uh but anyway enough about that we're going to segue neatly well, not so neatly then. Okay,
1: go ahead there. I was. I, I Um. I, <laughs> sorry. Okay. You okay? I beg your pardon. No, I. I um. For, I just couldn't think of the name of the movie. The. Heaven um, begins. No, the the, the 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 Ridley Scott um
0: uh Blade Runner. Yeah.
1: Oh yes, the, yeah, which they, is they, this very
0: Blade Runner inflected. Yes. that's
1: but wasn't that the, kind of the touchstone for it? Like He the, made
0: the production team. He made the production design team watch that before filming it. And a lot of the work in the Narrows is, is kind of like designed around Blade Runner. It's designed to look like Blade Runner. The rain, the studio, it's the set, the studio setting in which it was shot as well. So yes, that was also a touchstone in terms of the aesthetics of the movie as
1: well. I, I, I'd never heard the Donner thing. That's interesting.
0: Oh yeah. No, he's talked yeah. about how like, he, you know, he talks about like remembering the trailers for it as well. And even things like the all-star cast. He talked about how like when he watched Superman, it was like Christopher Reeve was this unproven screen actor so to compensate they surrounded him by this cast that was arguably dramatically overqualified where you had henchmen played by like Ned Beatty for example Uh, and obviously you had Gene Hackman in the role of Lex Luthor and all this sort of stuff and like again Nolan was like I'll just take that idea and it's like we'll have Christian Bale and we'll just surround him with people like morgan freeman whose job is to do exposition um and like michael cain who's playing the role played by michael goff in the previous films gary oldman will be replacing pat ingle like that sort of level of overcasting but with that in mind we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone.
1: No, I don't think I can do that, can I? I don't, what, what, uh, I'll try it out again. Um, what do I say to, to, to get me into it? Um, swear to me! Spoiler Zone!
0: <laughs> so Alex, what is Batman Begins about for you?
3: Uh, I mean, I think, like, kind of similar to what I was saying earlier, and I, I'm sure we'll get into it. So I might leave some of the actual film themes around, like, fear and development and and even, you know, that idea of, like, you know, addressing a threat by almost becoming the threat, uh, which is a very 2005, post-9-11 um, topic. But for me, Batman Begins is that, and I realize who I'm talking to, the guy who's literally written the book on Nolan. So, like, but my my theory is kind of an expansion of what I was saying earlier. Christopher Nolan's a fascinating filmmaker, who's made some really incredible films. Um, but I think Batman Begins is like the perfect distillation of that sort of like company man approach. He, he understands the assignment. He absolutely nails it. But he, he doesn't, you know, overdo the weirdness um, like Tim Burton did, arguably like Joel Schumacher did as well. Uh, he, he knows exactly the line and where to like come up to it. And I think while that deserves a certain amount of praise because he's able to, over the course of three films, Create this relatively elaborate interesting story um i also think that does kind of leave a little bit of criticism um because you know for some of the reasons we were talking about that does lead to this whole very committee-led superhero franchise um perspective for the subsequent 20 years or whatever since this (laughs) film has come out but that's something that has always fascinated me about nolan that He's someone who I think actually is so brilliant that he can see where he could go and then purposely chooses to sort of like hold back. He He's someone who comes up with the idea of Paris folding in on itself, but decides to set the climax to that film in a James Bond set piece that we've seen a hundred times before. He He comes up with the idea of going to the farthest depths of of planets, Um, but they're actually going to be not that imaginative. One's going to be Iceland folded in on itself and the other one's going to just be like a puddle land where all the water comes up to your knees. And that's, that's, that's it. And I think, you know, sometimes when I was watching these kind of films and I think Batman Begins is one of them, you start criticizing like, well, you know, For instance, you were mentioning Blade Runner, and it's clear um, Blade Runner is such a uh, influence on the Narrows, you know. um, And Gotham is very well realized in this. It looks like Chicago, though. I I know it was shot in Chicago, but (laughs) it doesn't look. It doesn't have that feel of a a sort of really gothic city that I think a lot of the comic books and stuff have. Now, I think some of that is definitely necessary for the whole. We're setting this in a real world. I want to create a believable city and all that. Yeah. But I think Batman begins as torn between those two places you you have batman i feel like i'm adam west in the simpsons saying why doesn't batman dance anymore but <laughs> i think that in going for that more realistic approach you, you actually do lose some of the the magic you know even the gadgets like um his bat periscope and his like bat boot attraction where he takes out the little you know sonic thing from his boot yeah. and drops it you know that those kind of things are almost entirely absent in the next two films and it, it feels like batman begins is almost a bridging, like, I know I can do these kind of things. I can set this all up so it's the Batman you kind of realize like but I'm also actually going to get closer and closer to that very much more realistic Michael Mann gunmetal blue approach that like the next two films really go into. Mm. And that's what I've, I like even Tenant um I remember thinking that it. it's such it had such really clever ideas in it but it's almost as if he kind of holds back on going as far as he wants to with it because he knows I want this film to open and be seen by as many people as possible, which is admirable in its own sense, because you're making giant, big spectacle things. And Christopher Nolan has obviously personally, like nearly tried to kill people by opening up his film. Um, and his whole view is like, uh, and that's, you know, tenant, I mean, with the COVID stuff, but his whole view seems to be, he wants this to be as a big and broad as possible canvas as possible. And for as much people to enjoy it, which I actually think is a generally a good thing. But I think for something like Batman Begins, um, it's interesting because I, I still think, this was the progression that I think Phil was talking about. Like he wows the world with a very twisty, turny um, memento that hits all the film, you know, um, festivals and, and gets lots of, you know, credit. And then he does a very like straightforward, um, but with two stars to protect the story. And then he moves on to the big studio picture and he, he absolutely nails it, um, you know, and, and and makes a very cohesive, very well run, but ultimately, kind of just doesn't have that spark or something. And I think the next two films, you can't criticize those as much. I think they're, they're much more, they, they have a, a magic to them. Mm. Um, and whether that's in the villain or whether that's in the sort of dynamic that they're exploring. Whereas Batman Begins feels like a lot of scene setting. It feels like a very workmanlike film. And like I said, he, he references films like Blade Runner. And um, I think he, he spoke in an interview as well about the man who would be king. Um, That John Huston film, which Mm. is is an interesting comparison because of like, I think the reality of that film, which is kind of about two British soldiers almost creating their own reality and it's like kingdom Kingdom. and it's it's like semi real, but also kind of unrealistic. And yeah, I think Batman Begins is kind of that. It's very like Batman controlling a horde of bats and jumping down and, and finding that balance between, well, this is maybe something that could happen in real life, but I'm going to, you know, be very careful about including too much of that because I still want to ground it. So I think it's a bit of a compromise between those two things. But as I said, I think it's a film perfectly in balance. I just think there's a little bit of cynicism there but it's a very clever filmmaker. But um, yeah, that was kind of my view on, on Batman Begins, watching it again.
0: That is one of the interesting kind of tensions in in the movie. I would argue is like the idea that like the argument, like the big knock against the Nolan movies uh, from a certain strain of like online, extremely online fandom, is the idea that they're not really comic book movies. That they are, you know, they're you know police procedurals in superhero drag. That he just put a superhero costume on Michael Mann's heat and called it The Dark Knight, and it doesn't reflect the comic books, or it doesn't. It's embarrassed to be a comic book movie and all that sort of stuff. And I've never. I've never entirely bought that in large part because like these are movies with a ninja death cult in them, for example. They're they're movies <laughs> that, you know, where you have this idea of like a microwave emitter that can vaporize water and a magic reactor that you can time the blast to like the fraction of a second on where characters like like the character of Falcone here who's played by Tom mm. Wilkinson like again a great example of how deep the bench is but he talks like a 40s gangster He's like you didn't think about your pretty girl down at the DA's office bang you didn't think I've... about your manservant butler bang, i have
2: bang! always thought i've always um. thought that of all the actors in the movie wilkinson knows exactly the kind of pitch that nolan is aiming at mm. like for all that people might say that Especially The Dark Knight is this old down and dirty and gritty and realistic movie. I mean, at the end of the day, it still got Batman in it, And he is still defying, I'm sure, plenty of laws of physics, whatever about the laws of uh, Gotham City in general. But...
0: Like, the um, length of Batman's cape varies dramatically from shot to shot. Like, one moment he's just a dude wearing a poncho and in the next shot it's like he's drawn by Kelly Jones. It's a very comic book sensibility. There's no real kind of... Like, the laws of physics here are not the laws of physics in reality. <laughs> They're comic book physics.
2: Um, I, I would agree, Alex, that Nolan is having to walk a very fine line between trying to do something different with Batman and do it within a studio's mandate. But... I don't think that's, I, I appreciate you use the word cynicism in it, probably in its least offensive yeah, iteration. Yeah, I was trying
3: to sp- balance it with some of the other <laughs> I terms. know, yeah, yeah.
2: It, it's, I feel like there's a word there, but I cannot think what it is. Now, cynicism, I guess, is, it's Calculated, happened. maybe? There we go. Calculate yeah, it. that, like that works.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. And then again, he's a, he's
2: a, it's the first time he's got a picture like this and a budget like this. So I suppose he has to he has to hedge his bets a little bit. Um, but I, you might as well go ahead, Andrew, because I'm struggling to formulate a thought here.
1: No, I suspect that's what Nolan likes to do. Mm. That I I don't think it it like it is. You could call it like compromising. But I don't think he is compromising. I, 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 think, I think he is... Like, I think calculation is... is it interests is, him. Is, yeah. I think he achieves his aims. a good aims. way of putting it. He achieves yeah. his
2: aims within what he's made.
1: Okay. Can we, like, okay, okay I, just to get I, very boring I, I and like... I think he would say to Nolan, like, the same thing that you say to Snyder. And Snyder would make a Snyder movie. And mm, Nolan, Nolan, Nolan makes would a make movie. a Nolan movie. That he's not going to kind of... Batman. Batman. Um, or sorry, I can't say that, can I? He's no. not oh, good at it. To, I, I, to, to, a, to a foul the like- bed. Um, even if you rated pg-13
2: like,
1: but even if you
3: look at the details um like the sort of more comic booky details that nolan puts in like even a character like zaz who yeah. appears in two scenes and is obviously a nod to people who are like oh that's Victor Zaz from the comic books and he even has like scars on his neck yeah, when
0: he turns stuff. his head you can see that yeah
3: exactly but that was my my point that it's almost sort of like it's literally covered like zaz's scars are covered because he's not interested in some Weird comic book style superhero mm. villain who's covered in scars. He just is like, oh, that'll be. It. I just need to show a mental patient, so I'll just might as well and make it's, it. Sound. And it's I, why. Well, okay. Sorry, Barry, you maybe. Maybe push
0: there. back a little bit about like I would argue that like the Ninja Death cult is more comic booky than most of the stuff that appears in say the Marvel movies, or the fact like the burlap sack, the fact that he's wearing a burlap yeah, sack but, uh, and not like a combat mask or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, or True, he's not flying but, and he's not yeah. like
3: throwing pumpkin bombs and stuff. Like well, but I, sh- I think he gets away with that because he gets away with the ninja death cult because the you know, Scarecrow is a psychiatrist in the suit, because the villain is um, Liam Neeson, you know, and talking in an extremely sort of straightforward Liam Neeson way and I think that's what I mean about the film's perfectly in balance he kind of knows where to draw that line and think okay I'll have a a ninja death cult in the mountains and then I'm going to follow that with um, 45 minutes of careful costume preparation including invoices from China as to exactly how he constructs the mask (laughs) and little details about like I'm going to order this part from this and this one from this and why he has the cape Exactly. So, like, it's not—it's calculated—is—is is exactly a, a good word for that, actually. Though, yeah. And also, as, I, okay. well
2: as that? I was going to say that the um, even the choices of the villains, Scarecrow and Razal Ghul, they are, they allow Nolan to achieve the aims that he wants to achieve narratively and thematically. When he could have picked any of the villains that have appeared in Batman over the years, you know, he could have gone for Joker, he could have gone for Riddler, anything like that, but. Again, given when it came out and what the studio wanted from the film, um, he picked and chose, he, he picked and picked carefully and picked quite well.
0: Mm. Okay, well, just a couple of quick things here, just very quickly, because everybody's kind of talking about this. To in- introduce some boring, like, Nolan facts about oh, like, how he works fact. as a director. Um, The way that he works is very much reverse engineering. Where Nolan will, in his early career, he will look at the technical limitations or the subject matter limitations with which he is working and he will reverse engineer the story to fit the, the, the limits it placed on him. So Alex is quite right there. Famously, like Following, he decided that his first film, Following, would be a film noir because he could only afford to shoot in black and white. So he's like, what what looks good in black and white in 1999? A film noir. So I guess that's the kind of movie that I'm making. Here, there's a lot of that as well, where it's like, I'm making a Batman movie. So I have to explain the cape. I have to explain the scallops. I have to explain why bats. I have to explain why the helmet kind of looks like that. And I, I no, do doesn't. think like...
1: <laughs> so we established that. You don't have fine, to, but it's also it's fine that's, that, what, that, that, that's what the that, studio that's wanted he too. to do. But well,
0: I mean, right. like we talked about this with Inception, right? Where we talked about like the idea of Inception came to Nolan because he was sitting down watching movies, and he was like, slow motion. Lots of movies use slow motion. I I don't understand. I can't justify using slow motion. I need to come up with a plot device that allows me to justify using slow motion.
2: And then he picked Zack Snyder to direct Man of Steel. Yeah. Well, mm. again, but yeah, but anyway. again, I
3: think there's a cynicism to that because he's like, I want someone who's going to screw this up and look, make my <laughs> films look brilliant <laughs> <like, laughs> by comparison. Um, what
0: is it? I do like the reports that like apparently, like Nolan went to the screening of the Joss Whedon cut of Justice League and walked out and apparently told Deborah Snyder, "Your husband must never see that movie. Oh, he must wow! Must never be allowed to see that movie." Um, oh, yeah.
2: That, that it's, I'm amazed they even dared invite him to that. Yeah, That's but, oh. The but thing, to,
0: to Phil, the, Oh, sorry. He, he probably just no, goes I, around
3: eating like executive sandwiches and stuff in those <laughs> days. Like he was there, like he could do whatever he wanted. I'd say. <laughs> it's
2: like, sorry, excuse would, me. dark Night. Let me through. Let me through. <laughs> but I when, mean, like when, to,
1: to. Okay, sorry. Sorry, no. It's just weird, it's something that Alex said about like Liam Neeson, doing that, like giving that kind of Liam Neeson speech the way Liam Neeson does. <laughs> Did anyone else when when he's when he's i think I know what you're to, gonna say yeah where yeah, where I he's saying right. like you're an, un- you're an angry young man. I was once like I you. was very nervous. I was. <laughs> yeah.
3: like, I did think, like, will I make that joke? No. That's not No, There's
1: probably not a good way to do it. But, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. yeah it's... Um, we all okay, thought okay. of so to, yeah, to co- what he said. To come yeah. back
0: to, okay, to talk about the Liam Neeson of it and the villains of it, because that's the big thing. What I find really interesting about Nolan's films is that Batman obviously is this iconic character who has this iconic rogues gallery, probably the most iconic rogues gallery in the history of comic books. People can name all of these characters off the top of their head. Two-Face, Riddler, Joker, Penguin, all this sort of stuff. But Nolan, by and large, steers clear of a lot of the Golden Age villains. The Dark Knight is the only one where the two primary villains are like from the 40s, where it's Joker and uh, Two-Face. Here... The only really golden age villain is Scarecrow, and he's the decoy. On yeah. the other hand, you have Zaz, who was created in the 90s. You have Raz Al Ghul, who was created in the 70s. Um, in, like, obviously in The Dark Knight Rises, you have Talia Al Ghul, who was also created in the 70s. And you have Bane, who was again created as an event villain in the 90s. And yes, he did feature in Batman and Robin, but he was a henchman there. The joke was he was the big muscle, and he wasn't really given a character. And I find it kind of interesting that Nolan kind of like, goes to and again it speaks to that thing where it's like his focus is largely Batman as a character and Bruce as a character and I think the picking of this particular villain is interesting here I really really like Raz al Ghul in this movie I like several things about it first of all most obviously the fact that he takes this character who is you know problematic somewhat And while not completely erasing the problematic aspects of him in that he still runs a ninja death cult, uh, he does avoid, he manages to tread the line where he gives you the Ken Watanabe character who is like the Mandarin-esque character who exists in comic books, who's this kind of like Eastern death ninja cult leader and then kind of like pulls a twist and wrongfoots you so the guy conducting genocide looks more like Liam Neeson, which is a nice twist, which is a clever way of doing that. But it also it also does something interesting in that it establishes this idea that Batman is kind of fruit of the poison tree mm. by giving you the classic like mentor character who is like your Obi Wan Kenobi who teaches your young he's guy
1: quite quite Ganjin very explicitly, just, I, I feel Jin, yeah.
0: like trading off of that yeah, yeah.
1: and well, even yeah. like his
0: his death kind of yeah.
1: word, is that kind of meditative sort mm. of.
0: yeah like but it and and the fact that like he's Like, obviously, the the movie's about dads. It's arguably... It's notable as the only Nolan movie that is more preoccupied with kids than with dads. Like, this is the story of a son rather than a father. All of Nolan's movies are about dads. Even, like, The Dark Knight Rises is arguably, like, its emotional core is Alfred as a dad worrying about Bruce. You'll probably
3: know this. When did Nolan actually have kids? Because, like... I, I just definitely always got the feeling like that's probably like a
0: a thing that came in kind of later.
3: Oh, I've had kids now to make Interstellar, you know. <laughs> now I guess because you're on the other side of that. Like I, I, like I don't know, but that would be my my guess. Because as you say, this is a well, yeah, this would be a much more sun orientated.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Nolan has like four kids. He has, I believe, it's Flora, Magnus, Oliver, and Rory. Uh, The oldest of those was probably born, I think, somewhere around 2001, 2002. Uh, Then there was another one born around 2003, 2004. So he was a parent twice over by this point. Uh, I think Magnus is the child who appears at the start of Inception, if I remember correctly. And then, like, obviously, Flora we talked about appears uh, in Interstellar. I think we kind of talked about uh, before about how Nolan gives kind of code names like to these movies like after his kids. So, for example, you know, The Dark Knight was Rory's first kiss. Uh, Inception was Oliver's arrow. The Dark Knight Rises was Magnus Rex. Interstellar was Flora's letter. And, you know, some of those are like deeply personal things. Like, for example, Interstellar like originated from the letter saying, Daddy, when are you coming home? Uh, which is a letter from a daughter to a father, so Flora's letter. And some of them are just named for the life events that he felt like he was missing in his children's lives, like Rory's first kiss, which is the, the mm. name for the Dark Knight. You know, it's it's the the idea that when he goes away and he makes these movies, again, very interstellar style, that he misses these life events that he goes off and he pours years of his life into these things and then as a result the life of the you know kids pass him by. Very yeah, cool. which is kind of sad and kind of depressing. Um but it's like yeah he felt like I missed Rory's first kiss, so that's that's what the Dark Knight is. That's what I will always think of the Dark Knight as the movie I missed my kid being you know, parents are teenager.
1: supposed to miss their
0: children's first <laughs> <kid>. fair. <laughs> fair. Fair.
1: Uh, yeah, actually. That's dear God, voice. you'd hope so. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: but, like, yeah, like, it, it, and again, this is, speaks to the whole kind of Spielberg Lucasness of it all, because it is very Star Wars. Like, it's very kind of like he is, as you said, Qui-Gon Jinn, he is Obi-Wan Kenobi. But it, it's like you have Thomas Wayne, who is this idealized father to Bruce, and you have, like, Ra's al Ghul, who is basically the father of Batman. And it ties into that stuff that Alex mentioned, the kind of, like, post-9-11 Anxieties of it all, where it's like, Mm. is Batman a terrible, terrible thing? And like Alex kind of alluded to it earlier, but like one of the things that Nolan does in Batman Begins is he decides to make his villain like a complete omnicidal kind of fascist, where it's like, I want to send you to Gotham to murder everybody. And Batman's like, what if I just go to Gotham and like beat up people? And he's like, no, no, that's not how this is supposed to work. So, therefore, Batman seems more acceptable to the audience as a result. Batman seems yeah. like a better solution because he's only brutalizing people. He's not, like, instituting, basically, purges of, like of cities.
2: Like Batman is trying to dilute that fascism down into a, into a more manageable and slightly cuddlier uh, publicly available package.
1: Yeah. Raz al Ghul tries to make him um, execute a prisoner. And he's like, no, I won't do that. I'll, I'll blow this, up this, this, this entire <laughs> tempo. I'll
2: kill all of you like,
3: instead
1: including the prisoner <laughs> yeah, yeah but like you
2: were gonna kill people anyway so it's all good um, yeah. except the prisoner like, was actually there as a murderer so
0: hmm. well, like, and again like obviously as you go on the movies become more complicated things like the, the whole I'm not they, going to kill you they, but I don't have to <laughs> save you kind of bit at the end which ends yeah. up becoming like is he as bad as Joe Chill uh, is what it ultimately becomes
1: Everybody aside from Ken Watanabe like gets out of the temple and is like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like the proper but, uh, A team. Yeah, you show a yeah. shot of them just sitting in the
0: snow going, <laughs> Yeah man, that I'm, that no gym awesome. bro. I'm no
2: Jimbro. I'm no Jimbro, but can <laughs> can anybody tell me if it is actually possible to bicep curl with a two hundred pound man plus armor? Like that stunt still makes me go. Yeah.
3: Batman. I want to like see the subsequent five minutes of, you know, trying to get him from that position up. And like Liam Neeson is an extremely large man. That made me mm. think that that ninja challenge where, you know, he has to put the blindfold on and then like guess which ninja is Liam Neeson. Surely you just pick yeah. the tallest ninja. Oh, huh? no,
0: like, it's, it's, it's very obvious. Like, even though Nolan tries to hide it with framing, like the ninja at the end is always like a yeah. foot taller than the <laughs> other ones. Than
3: every other one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um But like, I kind of like, there is an interesting kind of eatable subtext to the movie where it's like, it is basically about Bruce killing both of his fathers, um, where like, obviously you have the Thomas Wayne bit where like Wayne, Thomas Wayne dies and he's like, don't be afraid. But at the end of the movie you have like Bruce, you have obviously the scene where like Ra's al Ghul says, don't be afraid, Bruce, as if to underscore the point. But he does that by ramming the train that his father built. Into Wayne Tower at the center of the city with his surrogate father on board. That is some proper, Oedipal like blockbuster plotting, right there. But
2: of course, it's what he has to do because in order to defeat the toxicity of the guilt that he carries from the death of his father, his his, both his parents, he has to also defeat the literal toxin that uh, Ra's al Ghul is going to spread throughout the city if he doesn't derail (laughs) the train. So, sorry, Alex.
3: (laughs) No, I remember thinking like again. Um, you know what you were sort of talking about about him literally killing Liam Neeson at the end. Like Liam Neeson has this wonderful moment of sort of like accepting death and and closing his eyes as the train like hurtles him into the ground. But um, it, it's also a little like I do I did have a thought like maybe that was his plan all along, being like okay, you know, kill this single farmer. No, I'll kill all of you. And then he's like, you know what, we I, we nearly had him. Um, why don't we just do this? And if he kills me, then like the, it'll be complete, and we'll have created this like proto fascist yeah. who will now have a billionaire's resources and dresses a, a bot and, and beat up the criminals for Maybe. Them, like, two years.
1: It's like, yes, feel, <laughs> I can feel, feel
3: your anger <laughs> <laughs> flowing through <laughs> you. But, um, yeah,
2: I, um... I, I, I've thought about that question and that particular moment a, a bit, and the only out I can really come up with is that it adds to the kind of moral gray area that Batman always seems to reside in. Yeah, he prides himself on not killing people, but then again, he's willing to override so many rules and laws as it is. Well, I, I mean, mean that, that's the is...
0: thing about Batman as a character where he's like, no guns, except the guns that I keep on my car that I yeah. use all the time.
2: It's not guns, they're just rockets. It's extra big guns. They're beyond
3: that, guns. that line in camp.
0: Batman the animated series where he's like, rubber, I swear, um, when he's explaining the bullets that he keeps <laughs> on the <Batman. laughs> I like There's that.
3: There's a, a scene in this where he picks up a gun and shoots someone as well. Like, not exactly like he's, like, fighting or something in the, the room. And, like, he does kind of grasp around. It's kind of interesting. And then, but, yeah, like, it's, I actually do think it's kind of interesting the, the way it's sort of handled about whether or not he's actually going to, like, what you were saying, Darren, about taking on, he seems to take on so many of Liam Neeson's, like, little lessons about, like, mm-hmm. how criminals um, thrive on the understanding of society yeah, the
0: criminal is not complicated. He 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 repeats like like verbatim in the dark in the next Night. movie. Like, yeah. yeah,
3: compassion is a weakness, and you know at a certain point, and then as you say, by the third one, he's. Yeah, you know, set up the NSA for all of Gotham. Yeah,
0: the entire point of the third one is though, like he created his own Batman by killing Talia's father. He is basically Joe Chill to Miranda Tate to the like Marion Cotillard character, which is mm. just such a cynical take. It's 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 fascinating. I kind of adore. it. But you
2: know, these things repeat themselves. That's what history is going to do. And I mean, you in the moment, he probably just imagined that something is going to happen. He probably didn't even know Talia existed, but. Could he have foreseen that he would actually cause her to come back and try and see your father's plan through? Probably not.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing that I find really interesting about this movie is that obviously, like, it's it takes its cues from a whole bunch of sources, including, say, The Man Who Falls, for example, and, like, Danny O'Neill's work on the character. But, like, you have things like uh, Frank Miller's Year One, which is the seminal, late 80s kind of comic book run, which is the gritty Reagan-era origin. And this is, like, very careful to situate Batman's origin in, in what feels like the 80s. This is possibly the superhero movie with the greatest number of references to yes, the Depression the recession, uh, in, like, the history of the medium. Economics come up repeatedly. Like, Ra's al Ghul boasts about using economics to attack and crush Gotham. And I find it kind of interesting that there's this tension between... The superhero is this kind of American archetype where it's this rugged individual. It's like the cowboy or whatever. It's this idea of the one man who can come in and fix town. And I kind of love that while this is Bruce's story and Bruce internalizes so much of that, like you have the, you know, don't be afraid, Bruce. So instead of being afraid, he's angry. He weaponizes his fear. You have things Mm. like, you know, you have like the commissioner coming in and telling Bruce, we got him, as if to instill that's what's important is that you punish this person for crime. You have Alfred saying it, well, it wasn't you. It was him. It was all him. And you have him kind of like internalizing that stuff, like he internalizes all of the Liam Neeson stuff. But the movie around him is more like, no, 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 but you see poverty and like social causes and economics and depression and systemic corruption. Those are the things that are turning Gotham into a hellhole. And I kind of... There's this interesting ambivalence where Bruce just doesn't take any of that on, which is fascinating.
3: And like that's linked to a point that I never liked about the first um, Tim Burton Batman, where it's revealed that the guy who shot his parents is in fact the Joker, and it just felt a little—it's trying to tie it together too neat, exactly. And I actually (laughs) always really liked in this one that Joe Chill, and he's played by that that guy who played the Night King, Richard Brake, and he has such a long, sad face. He's got a great like film face. And he, he looks scared while he's murdering. <laughs> like, he genuinely looks like a mistake, you know. He looks like a guy who's down and out and goes too far. And then we have a wonderful scene later where it shows him older, resourceful, like your man in the Shawshank Redemption saying, you know, rehabilitated. And then he gets gunned down. Sure,
0: I was hungry like a lot of people back then, but exactly. that doesn't excuse what I did. It's like, it's surprisingly sympathetic to him. And
3: it makes and it actually makes um, Chris um, Christian Bale holding a gun about to execute this guy a lot yeah. more kind of like, oh, God. And then, though, I felt that there's a final scene where Liam Neeson kind of pretty much reveals, actually, we killed your parents because I caused that uh, economic crash. That which, recession, so, yeah. that Joe Chill to, like, rob your mother.
0: And... Create enough hunger and everyone becomes a criminal. Exactly.
3: And, and what you're talking about, about cycles and stuff then, I almost would have just preferred it a little bit more like, no, you know, American late-stage capitalism essentially kills your parents and you're very much a part of that. But yeah.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's them as an analogue of 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 that, I suppose, but 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 yeah, it it does kind of also give a person a license not to interpret it that way. Yeah,
2: but um, I think also that these movies, and it starts here, is very critical of Bruce Wayne from his position of privilege as a billionaire. In that, you know he he doesn't get any kind of new lessons from what's happened with his parents until he leaves that life behind until he goes off to into the world and eventually joins up with the league of shadows up until that point, he's just moping around like this depressed teenager around a cavernous mansion and all this money and none of it does him any good. So only, uh, only after he gets his training, he gets any sense of purpose about trying to improve the world. And then that bleeds into what happens in the subsequent two movies, um, it is, it's not the primary driver, thematically speaking, at least not in this movie, but it's definitely saying something about, I suppose, you know, the rich and the the richest and the poorest and that huge gap, the yawning gap and the ever growing ever bigger between them and how just not taking action is uh, is not going to help either. Yeah.
3: And it's also like toxic male rage, the idea that he gets so mad um and angry that eventually liam neeson comes and sort of like says oh come and be a proud boy with us actually like yeah. there is a, a definite jordan peterson vibe to, to liam neeson's villain performance oh, so i'm going like, to take yeah. back what i said earlier and say no he's a good villain
0: <laughs> but no he does like you can imagine raz al ghul's 13 rules for living yeah like it's, it's not too like he's finding these young men and telling them how to weaponize their anger like he has this whole thing where he's and again it's very fascistic it's like you you know your father's death wasn't your take fault. care
1: of your surroundings tidy your room (laughs)
0: sharpen your sword make your bed yeah but it's like your father lacked the will the will to act but there's this whole thing where it's like no you need purpose it's like we can channel and kind of like sharpen your weapon and kind of use it and turn you back on society you and again it is as you said something very jordan peterson where it's like he is this privileged incredibly privileged guy he's coming back from princeton to kind of sulk over his parents, kind of like the, the hearing around Joe Chill. He has this life of luxury with this gigantic mansion and this manservant. And like you have, again, it's it's probably notable. I know that it's not a juicy role. I know it's not a good role, but like Katie Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes is the one who's like, no, 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 no. Maybe don't do that. Maybe don't try to shoot him. Maybe acknowledge that there are bigger systemic problems that you as a billionaire could probably help solve. Mm. And he's like, I know as a billionaire, I could build a bat suit.
3: Yeah, it feels um, almost like it should have been showing um, Katie Holmes' disappointment at the end when he reveals, like, "Hey, it's me, it's Batman." I almost feel like she'd have been like, "Oh no, no." <laughs> well, she, well that's why she so doesn't get with better things. It. That,
0: that does happen in the Dark Knight. To be yeah. fair, that yeah. is kind of where yeah. the character ends up going. And also, she, she,
2: just, just sorry, just to interject that she does reject. She it, does. It. There's that. But also, I want to reject. Uh, I think Katie Holmes is actually pretty good in this. I remember at the time okay. she got a lot of flack. Well. There's one thing, and I hate to reduce it to a basic, you know, aesthetic. She looks very young. Mm. She looks, you know, like almost like just this. I don't know. She looks younger than Bale. She looks younger than everybody else. She's almost like a little girl playing dress up at times. But other than that, I kind of like her. Uh, youthful grit and moxie that she tries to bring to I
3: think to it sort of suits the role a little bit more. Because she is this um, kind of, you know, Wide-eyed assistant CA, like really She's trying committed. to
2: make a difference in that youthful kind of way. And I'll be honest, one of my problems with, a few problems with Dark Knight is the fact that she didn't reprise the role. And I feel like what happens to Rachel in that film might have hit a little harder if there had been a continuation of this, uh, if she had continued to play the role, whereas I have to uh, get after a different actress, Gillian Gyllenhaal, and maybe not have the same emotional connection as an audience. But that's maybe a minor thing. But I think she does absolutely fine with the role, and I think for what the role uh, seeks from her, I think she does quite well. Um, I think it also, like, she... She's a young, at the time, upcoming actress, and she's up against a lot of heavy hitters. So next to them, she mightn't look as accomplished either. I mean, MVP of the cast for me, uh, Michael kane,
1: Yeah, I was about to say the the thing I like about going back to the 80s with Joe Jill is that we get to see Permacane. Like how how... <laughs> <laughs> He's just like He's just look like fixture. this for thirty years. <laughs> like I'm it doesn't matter to... if it's Jaws. Um, for our um, Batman Begins. <laughs> Michael know. Kane has
0: always looked like. This. Well, I mean that that's that's the thing. There's big Better Call Saul flashback energy to Christian Bale playing Princeton student. Yeah, it's like when you go to the mailroom in Better Call Saul, and Bob Odenkirk at the age of fifty is playing his character at the age of like twenty or eighteen. Like it's just like <laughs> we'll throw a wig on him. Uh, we'll maybe make the hair look like it has bangs. That's that's enough, right? That's what we need. Um, but
2: yeah. Yet, the
0: um, cast here is phenomenal and again like it's it's something that and again alex kind of mentioned how this kind of like lives in the legacy of like the marvel films and kind of like how this kind of like led to all that but like in this day and age where you have this absurdly overqualified cast for every superhero film where you go to ant-man and it's like you know it's michael douglas it's michelle pfeiffer it's uh lawrence fishburne it's you know Corey Stoll, it's uh, what's his face? It's like Walton Groggins, and it's like this is like the 10th most important Some of important those names don't
1: character. belong in your argument.
0: <laughs> Take that, Walton
2: Groggins. I don't think some of those names belong in his mouth. Walton Goggins,
0: Goggins.
1: Okay, apologies. Love Walton Goggins. Uh, is, he, is he an actor, Darren? Yes, he's too yes, big he for that movie, but <laughs> I don't know who he is. <laughs> 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 that,
0: Thank you, thank you, Andrew. But, but but like, you look at the Even cast, compared to that, though, look, this cast... Like, look at the cast of like the 90s Batman movies, where again, like where Alfred is played by Michael Goff, a fixture of British low-budget television, where Pat Hingle is Gordon. And it's like, here instead, you have a cast so stacked that like, Morgan Freeman is the guy who's delivering your exposition-esque Q briefings. The cast is wonderfully, absurdly overqualified which I kind of think is amazing. Like Rutger Hauer is yeah, playing Yeah, Rutger Hauer scene. is just the
3: like frowning CEO is is like, yeah. And just He's to like, hammer
0: like, home the cool Blade scene. Runner comparisons thing. Eh? Yeah. yeah, just to underscore the point there as well. But like, that's one of the things I find really interesting. I really love about these movies as well. And again, it's that thing where you have that tension between, like, I don't want to be kind of flippant and be like, oh, Nolan hates superheroes or whatever. So that sort of nonsense. I think he quite likes them. And I think there's a great deal of affection there. But, like, that thing we mentioned where you have that criticism of, like, individualism versus, like, the reality of Reagan-era depression. One of the things I like about Nolan's Batman movies is that there's this sense of, like, a family around Batman and the idea that Batman is more than just the creation of a lonely billionaire orphan. Where throughout the movies you have this idea that he depends on this support structure around him. And he relies on these people both in a sense to keep him safe. Um, like, here at the climax of the movie, for example, you have, like, Rachel Dawes, like, ends up tasering Scarecrow in the face. You have, like, Gary Oldman ends up, like, driving the car and destroying the bridge that, you know, ends up defeating Raz al Ghul. You have, like, obviously Michael Caine takes out the guy and helps him lift the log and instills this kind of virtue in him. You have Morgan Freeman who develops the kind of, like, antigen or the, the kind of the antidote to the poison that's spreading through Gotham's system. But, like, even beyond that, you have, throughout these movies, the idea that, These characters serve as kind of checks and balances on Bruce, where, like, Bruce is this rich kid who's decided to dress up as a bat and become, like, a one-man police squad over Gotham. And throughout the movies, you have this idea that Alfred, Gordon, and Lucius all serve as kind of, like, moral checks and balances on him. Obviously, like, here, you have, like, Alfred saying, that's not cool, that, like, whole big police chase, the Blues Brothers thing that you just did? You have Gordon... They're enablers as well, though. Yeah, well, that's like, the tension. They,
1: they, they, yeah, they... That, but but in, in fairness,
3: like, by this, the next two films, they all walk away at various that's, points, that's mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. They all are like, oh, no, this is too far, yeah.
0: Gordon, Gordon ends up broken. Alfred ends up resigning in order to step away. You have, like, Morgan Freeman saying, if you keep this technology, I'm quitting you have, like, Rachel ends up dead.
1: The fact that at no point in this movie does Alfred have Bruce uh, committed. committed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, like...
0: like, The only thing that stopped me from carrying men in white coats.
1: (laughs) Yeah, was trails off. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah. It it would have made more sense, I think. Like, if he really wanted to make it grounded... That initially he was hiding it even from Alfred, and that Alfred then kind of like found out.
0: Alfred comes into the room and finds him yeah. like wearing the bat suit, and he's like, "Don't look at me."
1: Alf, Alf, Alfred is doing his um, laundry, like, gem, like gem like gymnastics, ninja style. yeah, and and he uh, like bounds into the, the back cave, the the, the back cave when the door is is ajar yeah um like um chris o'donnell chris, Was it chris o'donnell
0: yeah in batman forever which is a hallmark of kind of what we aspire to is. but I, I, I kind of i do <laughs> i find that that intro like again it's the idea of like in modern superhero movies when you have a cast like that it's always like how long until they put on a costume so you look at something like iron man and it's like an hour that that, that Thank, thank you, Andrew. But it's like, you look at, like, Iron Man, and it's like, you know, his girlfriend ends up becoming a superhero. His virtual assistant ends up becoming a superhero. Well, You have, like, um, Captain America, where his girlfriend ends up becoming a superhero. His best friend ends up becoming a superhero. It's just this kind of push towards superheroization, where the idea is that everybody in the cast is going to end up in a silly costume. And what I like about Nolan's films is that, no, you get one costume, and the idea is that, it's the product of all of these people working together. This is a weird kind of again. And your
3: girlfriend might end up dead by your <laughs> crazy involvement. <laughs> in yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Your girlfriend might up, end up dead. Your your police chief partner might end up like divorced from his wife and like writing your, resignation. Worst of
3: all, your butler will resign. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You'll have to open your own door. But she's
1: not even a girlfriend. She's like yeah. the the unrequited love that he ought to forget about. Yeah. You know. That and it 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 comes across that like Bruce Wayne is a very pathetic uh, man and he 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 has this kind of like idea that
0: like, very childlike it
1: yeah that,
3: that Christian Christian Bale is so good at that like the way he just switches yeah. on the Patrick Bateman like when he gets everyone out of his house it's so good mm. to sort of just see him like put on the real mask and be like I'm just gonna be a rich an pathetic dick be player. an asshole. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, well, this is my kind of boring, like, grand theory of Batman and Bruce Wayne, where, like... You know, you have, you have Superman who's craned around the same time. He's the other superhero icon. Superman is like the most American superhero. He's the embodiment of like the belief in the future. He is the man of tomorrow. He's in Metropolis. Mm. He's, you know, an alien from another world. He fights mad scientists and spaceships and alien invasions. And he embodies like the freedom of the press, the American ideal, all this sort of stuff, kind of like pioneer spirit. As you're coming out of the Great Depression, you're heading into like this era of industrialization during the second world war the atomic age is just around the corner superman kind of ties up into all that but then batman is kind of the opposite of that where he's this gothic creation which is kind of you know very ancient very old-fashioned very much kind of steeped in in kind of like new england lore i mean it's arkham asylum named for the work of h.p lovecraft that even like the name bruce wayne stately wayne manor it all has this kind of like edgar Allan poe kind of h.p lovecraft quality to it maybe even something a bit older where like i think uh Bob Kane said that like he picked the name Bruce Wayne in in honor of like Robert Bruce for example Wayne sounds like something from a you know a Graham Poe story about some decrepit old like inbred you know rich family or whatever And, like, I think there's an argument for, like, the fact that, like, Batman has always really benefited from, like, British writers and kind of, like, British creatives. Nolan is, you know, half American, half British. This movie was shot, you know, half in Chicago, half in the UK, half in England. Wayne Manor is in England. Uh, They shot in Chicago, in the States, all that sort of stuff. Uh, You know, you have creatives who've written the comics. People, like, say, Alan Grant, Grant Morrison, they're British comic book writers, and they kind of really connect with the character character. And and there is this kind of like gothic, pathetic kind of haunted quality to it, where he's this figure who's kind of sad. I think Andrew kind of zeroed in on it there, where like he's he's like a kid. Yeah, but like the thing with Batman is that there's there's basically two ways of approaching the character, which is like the moment that his parents were killed, he grew up instantly. Or the moment his parents were killed, he just froze developmentally and he remained that child forever. And I think Bale's great because he really plays that as a child, you know? And I mean, like, if when we talk about The Dark Knight, we talk about The Dark Knight Rises next year, you know, there's fun stuff to talk about, about, like, w- what extent Bruce is actually, like, a grown-up. Um, but I mean, even, even here, like, the fact that he does that kind of American psycho routine, it's mm. all play-acting to him, you know? And
2: like I said, you know, having played that role, clearly while well, it had to be a consideration for when he was casting the part um, there's I mean he was one of several names who was considered um,
0: Christian Bay sorry not Christopher Killian Murphy, Killing Murphy. Was, the audition Murphy was considered, yeah. you can wa- and there were photos of him in the suit, which will include the show notes
2: uh, There and and there's videos you can watch as well it's on like the DVD supplements and YouTube uh, funnily enough for their uh, auditions as Batman they actually used Val Kilmer's suit from Batman yeah. Forever but if you watch them, like Bale, just looks like a great fit in in Bruce Wayne suits and in the Bat suit, so great. But you look at Killian Murphy, actually looks the part as Bruce Wayne a bit too scrawny, perhaps for the for the Bat suit. So I'm glad that he didn't get the part. But Nolan liked him enough to make him Scarecrow, so that's a win. Mm. But like Bale, he's. I think he's just an ideal actor for the part. I mean, he does do the Bruce Wayne bit as well, but he we know he also has the emotional depth to carry that pain, to so let it shine through at all in any possible yeah. moments.
1: Cuz he's he's the child from um the of the son as well yeah. in this movie, as in, as in like he he like um the, he ends up completely lost from left, everything. Left yeah. behind by his, his, his parents.
2: It's like he had the uh, the complete backstory for this character built into his own CV already. He does, when you think about it like that, he does seem like an ideal choice.
0: Well, again, like, again, Nolan's kind of casting here is very clever. You mentioned things like the casting of Liam Neeson as kind of Qui-Gon Jinn kind of playing off that and Rooker Howard hmm. the reference. Like, Nolan, again, there's a lot of reverse engineering going on here where Nolan's like, you know, I, I know what these actors have done. And he's talked about how when he directs actors, he's always very careful to calibrate his direction. Like, how much do they need? And if they don't need me to direct them, I'm perfectly happy to just let them do what they want. There is kind of almost that sense of like, well, Christian Bale's going to do the Christian Bale stuff, right? And that's going to work the way that it does. In terms of just other stuff we want to talk about, is it worth talking about Killian Murphy as the Scarecrow? Um, yeah, I think I think mean, he's great. I think he's... He's, he's creepy.
2: He's a very effectively creepy. Um, I'm delighted that... It's like his work with Nolan has kind of kept his uh, blockbuster career going to a point where he's now his lead. He's a, he's a fascinating character actor, as as he Nolan clearly recognizes. It's great to see him there. Mm.
0: And worth noting, by the way, the Scarecrow um, was arguably one of the elements that carried over from the aborted Batman triumphant. That was supposed to be played by Nicolas, Nicolas Cage. Cage. Oh yes. dear. What? Which is an interesting bit of continuity there. If you can imagine Nicolas Cage uh in oh, yeah. a similar role to this. I'd
2: rather not. Um
0: and, and again
2: they obviously. scream and they cry. Much <laughs> as you're doing now. Would you like to
1: see Ugh. my
0: mask? Um <laughs> But um I do, I do kind of like I again
1: I I I I kind of do want to see that, I don't think it would have belonged in this movie, <laughs> but I, I, I the Schumacher film, in the Schumacher a, movie, it would yeah, have been a good yeah. fit. To be fair, I think it would have been terrific.
0: Uh, and again, like the the, the theming, like the way in which the the villains very much serve Batman here, where it's the idea that you have Ra's al Ghul because you need a mentor figure, and you have Scarecrow because Scarecrow, like scarecrow doesn't get an origin story or an explanation for who he is or what he does he's just like i wear a mask and i gasp my patience
3: a little freak yeah he's just a little yeah like,
0: like the closest thing you get is the bit where she's like you enjoy it don't you the mind's power over the body yes i enjoy it very much and like all you need to know is that he's just like this nerdy version of bruce wayne who never left gotham and who just kind of internalized his rage and his power trip fantasies. And again, the idea that he's played by an actor who almost played Batman, and the fact that he's an actor who looks like, you know, looks like Killian Murphy, looks vaguely of the same age of Bale. I mean, it is worth noting, apparently, you'll notice during the movie that Scarecrow keeps putting on his glasses and taking off his glasses. Mm. Apparently that was Nolan's one big direction. It's like, I just, it's like, those are the special effects, those baby blues. If I can keep drawing the audience's attention to Killian Murphy's eyes by having him put on and take off glasses, I will have done some good. But like, I like I, that Scarecrow just exists as a foil to Batman. It's like another villain who uses fear as a weapon. That's his only purpose. Sorry, Alex.
3: No, yeah, I think the glasses is a good one because he's so good at that, like coming across as a professional. Like we see him in the opening hmm. scene; is, is he's giving literally legal testimony. And you know, I think the, the glasses is great because of his eyes. But it's also that like people wearing glasses are kind of oh you're the expert on this and i'm taking on my glasses exactly i'm gonna put those on and i'm going to talk um about this very professional part of it and then gillian must be so good because like he only really gets like one scene where he kind of gets the mask off and he's sort of going the oh, batman and he's like really going a little bit over the top but it's a lot find of find you
2: somebody who
1: loves you as much as he likes saying It's fantastic.
0: I mean, like, they did name the Robert Pattinson movie for that line, is what I'm choosing (laughs) to believe. (laughs)
3: Like, but it works and it, it goes because it, cause he, he nails it. He nails that like, I'm just going to be this like cold alligator on the surface of a lake, cold and still and still. And then at the moment you he need these required. He goes absolutely nuts. And it's perfect because yeah. we don't get a whole bunch of other stuff from him. So it's, and I it's really and good. I
2: love how he's able to revert as well. Like the moment after that where he's been poisoned by his own fear toxin and Batman has him by the scruff of the neck. And he just refers back into this baby. Dr. Crane isn't here right now. It, you can switch it on time. He's very, he's excellent. Love him. Yeah, so good.
0: And and the punchline of like his, like I love that once the movie's done with him, once he's served his purpose, like because his purpose is to be a distraction. He's he's the he's the villain who's meant to distract you from the reveal that Liam Neeson is the baddie. By the way, did anybody fall for that during the first time watching the movie? Was I fell,
2: I fell no. for it and I could feel like an idiot. I'm, one thing I want to raise about this, in terms of the script, so written, as we know, uh, by uh co-written by Nolan and David and S. David Boyer. S. Boyer. of the three, the film is definitely, and this kind of feeds into what uh, Alex was saying earlier about the conventionality of the film, I suppose, in that it feels... there's moments where it feels cheesier than it really needs to and I know that's kind of building off where Batman has been before and it might be seen as a a necessity but there's just a little bit extra there like there's a lot of kind of unnecessary callbacks and things which it's like payoffs to jokes that weren't really needed at times And, and I'm just wondering if there's a That element of the film, where it has that little bit of nods to the Batman's past, that kind of extra cheesiness, maybe is a product of Goyer. And I hate to pin it all on him, but the man's track record in other properties isn't as strong as this.
0: You mean you don't love Blade Trinity? No, I
2: don't love Blade Trinity. Nobody does. Least of all Ryan Reynolds, I should hope. Um... I don't know I think some of the humour
3: is kind of
2: interesting like it's, some of the humour yeah, is definitely Nolan's now that I
3: won't yeah, like, yeah,
0: some yeah. a lot of the Alfred stuff and a lot of the Fox stuff it's like no I just want you to know how hard I worked yeah.
2: that's Nolan or like what is the point of all those push-ups is you can't lift a bloody log that's yeah. Nolan
0: I definitely I, lo- I, lo- I love you I can love still that. drive the royals, the rolls if you want just bring it back with a full, back with the full tank
1: I, I, uh, I think my favourite one was um, I hope you're not a member of the fire brigade <laughs>
2: Like, who's like, dad, dad is good. definitely that, like, that would to come no out one. Of Nolan's yeah. map yeah. to the <laughs> audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To no
0: but, one. but, like, and again, like, I, Nolan has this reputation for being deadly serious, but there's definitely a sense of like dad humor to it. Um, yeah. I, again, what I find interesting about the script to this is how very heavy handed it is in terms of what might be called Nolan literalism where, like, it wants you to know that Nolan has thought very hard about the things that he's putting on screen. Right. And, it like, the fact that you have, like, the word fear is mentioned approximately 500,000 times in the script. So you get that the theme is fear. But things like the bit where, like, the monologue that, like, Liam Neeson delivers, and it's great because it's a Liam Neeson monologue, and I kind of love it because it's a comic book movie, and comic book movies should be goofy and heightened. But the bit yeah. where he's like, when a forest grows too wild, a cleansing fire is necessary. And there's shots of guys in the background with gasoline and matches and he goes when somebody stands in the way of true justice you, you don't you up behind, behind them, them and stab, stab them, them in with the heart them. and then you have a guy drop from the ceiling behind Bruce and yeah. stab, like, almost stab him in the heart and the bit like, where it's like justice yeah. is balance. you burnt my house and left me for dead consider us even and it's there's a like I quite like how heavy handed the dialogue is because it's a comic book movie mm. uh, yeah
2: but like there's moments where I feel like it just goes a bit over the top like there's a the bit where uh uh, Neeson's character, where Razagul finally sees Bruce Wayne in his get-up, and uh, he says, "My, my, gripe lies with the rest of Gotham, and pure villain, c- campy villain line. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a city to destroy." I, <laughs> I, I actually, I
0: love the moment where he's like, where he does the gesture, and two ninjas appear, and Bruce is like, "I can beat two of your pawns," and he's like, "Very well," wait. and then, and then two more appear. I kind of like. Thank you.
1: I'm seeing double.
0: (laughs) Like some of it, like to
1: be honest, like some of it could be kind of badass
2: from a villain point of view, like the stuff (laughs) you were citing earlier. But I just feel like there's a few moments where it goes a little OTT. Like there's all like. Uh, One of the most memeable moments of the movie is when Batman is interrogating uh, Flass, Mark Boone Jr., upside down, having pulled him up from street levels, like several stories up a building. And he's saying, where were the other drugs going? I don't know. I I don't know. I swear to God. Swear to me. I was like... Phil, counterpoint to that. That scene is amazing. Yes. Okay. It's a great scene. But it's just like okay, you had to have that one in to make the audience go, whoa, that's so cool. Oh, really? I, I don't know. I go back and forth on it. What makes I that kinda, scene... Co- I,
3: I liked it. Just out of the like escalation yeah. to torturing people. Like Right in the first film, he's only like a few <laughs> months into his crime fighter and he's and- like... I'm going to have to torture kind of waterboarding to, people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> it's, the escalation in the next film where, at least in this one, he has a rope tied around him. Because in the next one, the gangster is he like... He throws him off. Yeah, you're not going to kill me from this side. He's like, I know. I'm just going to telescope off. your legs. And he drops him off the building. And it's horrible.
0: Yeah. It, it is. Uh, but... What Shout out to Nolan great? sound mixing, a massively underrated part of getting these movies in under PG thirteen, yeah. which I kind of adore. The sorry, um, in the
3: nose sound and everything.
0: Like, yeah. <laughs> oh god, yeah. that's that seems fantastic. Like, um, as a, as a, as next somebody show. who was an eight year old kid, I love I love that about these movies. But anyway, sorry, sorry, Phil. Um,
2: I've forgotten what my point was. Yeah, uh, what makes that scene great for me is again the the physicality and the practicality of it. There's behind the scenes shots of Nolan in wires and rigging being hauled up that prefabricated alleyway. So many of the sets of this were built practically in the studio. Yeah. Uh, like there is a miniature working monorail that goes through. You can <laughs> see a stuntman being hauled through, uh, being hauled around by it and bashing through uh, all kinds of signage and whatnot and clearly getting injured at doing it. And like it's mm. the reason that it looks and feels as satisfying as it does because so much of it is done in camera so much of it is done in reality there are very few special effects shots like you know in CG shots I mean and even the ones like he
3: uses miniatures which again this was like the dying era of miniatures The
2: like the, the train crash at the end that is almost entirely miniatures and just little pyrotechnic effects and it looks great you know you bend that in with maybe a couple of dust of CG effects and things like that it looks absolutely wonderful and Again, there's a there's a tactile uh, nature to it all that just doesn't that CG just does not replicate and cannot satisfy that same itch that a viewer might have.
0: Um, Just very briefly, briefly before we wrap, it's worth acknowledging that this is one of Warner Brothers two big efforts to rejuvenate their existing intellectual properties. And it's interesting that you have the other one is Superman Returns, which is the Brian Singer Superman movie. And it's interesting how the two of them are radically different from one another in terms of philosophy and approach. And that like Batman Begins clearly wins. So like Superman Returns is positioned, as Alex said, like like sequels used to be. It continues on from Superman 2. Brandon Routh is playing the same version of Superman from Superman 2 played by Christopher Reeve, for example. That's why he was um, it...
2: cast, because of the similarity of ha- yeah. how they look.
0: Yeah, the idea that the version of Lex Luthor is the same version with the wigs and stuff like that as well, and the same costuming and the same production design, the use of the John Williams score, all that sort of stuff. It's very much very faithful, very affectionate, very much recreating or tapping into that nostalgia for those movies. And it's interesting that like this, on the other hand, is not like any version of Batman that had ever appeared on screen to this point before. It is a completely new take. It's going back to the beginning, as it were. It's setting it at zero. It is... I think this is a very Nolan film, right down to, like, the simple detail of the fact it opens with the main character having a dream, which is, like, a very Nolan touch. It's interested in Nolan's themes. It's using, as we mentioned, villains that haven't been used on screen before that are more modern than the classic ones. It's more interested in psychology and, and kind of interiority. It's gritty. Um, it's kind of, like, very tactile, as we mentioned. And it's kind of interesting to think that, like, in 2006 audiences and like the studios were like what we want here is we want the new take on the character we want the new approach to the ip that is radically different from what came before and we want to trust this director to deliver their own vision whereas nowadays it's impossible to imagine that fans wouldn't kind of like wet themselves in excitement over something like Superman Returns which is like we're recreating the Donner era like particularly after you look at things like the reaction to the Snyder Superman movies which have their own issues in their own right but a large part of the backlash to them is it's not the Superman I remember why isn't he wearing a costume that looks like the one that I remember why isn't the why aren't they playing the John Williams score like the one I remember and it's kind of interesting that in two thousand and six it was like, no, that that's that's not how we're doing this. We're going to try something new with this with this. Yeah, like, and
3: even so. with the the more recent Batman film, which I have to confess I haven't seen yet. Um, Me either, because I have a baby, so I just have <laughs> not been able to do that. <laughs> but, Good excuse um, and
2: congratulations. Thank you,
3: but. Um, you know it does seem like when that film when the trailer to that anyway which was released which i have seen and it's you know the playing the orchestral nirvana cover and it's very <laughs> like we're going very dark and gritty guys i think there was an understanding of like don't worry everyone they're going dark and gritty it's more in line with the with batman begins yeah side of it's the not house a rather tape, than... per se. yeah exactly um so yeah it's 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 very very interesting how something like batman can we were talking about the Adam West 1966 film and, and like different eras and it's, it can be reflective of very different eras. But I think in the more modern era, it's, it's almost as if this Batman begins kind of like set the template and so now everything's going to be a reflection of that from now on. Um, even something like the Lego Batman movie a few years ago, which I did see, um, mm. does touch on lots of similar things like the dark and gritty voice, the fact that Will Arnett is a very funny almost take on that kind of Batman And then even to broader um, themes of like, um, it takes a village. If you want to save the city, you need like five or six committed, you know, allies and friends, which is very much, as you said, Aaron, the, the focus of this film as well.
0: Um, you wanted to say. I think when you mentioned the start, you wanted to say something about like filmmaking. This is a film that's typical of, say, two thousand five cinema. Did we touch on that, or is there anything you want to add on that?
3: I think the one thing I definitely noticed was the choppy fight editing, which it's um, terrible. You know, really, it, isn't it's it? It's very Jason Bourne hitting people with magazines, and like we're just going to cut around. You know,
2: but it's not as fluid as those. I no, mean, yeah. I, yeah. this is a this, this is a complaint I had even way going back to when I saw it first. In that it does feel blurry. And I know that Nolan had intended that you would be looking at it almost from the point of view of, if not one of the people Batman's attacking, then from a bystander that he moves so quickly you wouldn't be able to comprehend what's going on. But I just find the effect rather dizzying, and thankfully, it uh, it only crops up a couple of times in the movie, but it's noticeable when it's there, and it's a pity because there's other moments where I feel like the violence does impact. Like um, the one thing Batman does more than any other that sticks out to me. There's a moment where uh, where Crane and a couple of his henchmen are going to destroy some evidence that got stabbed and one guy stops to take a leak and the next thing Batman just slams his head into a mirror and I just thought no you do not interrupt a man midstream that is not cricket.
0: I like, by the way, that Nolan goes out of his way to set up the like the gasoline and the um, yeah. and the lighter. Like, again, that's Nolan's attention to detail, where it's like, Cheesy. if we're going to have Crane set them on light, we need to make sure the audience is aware that there is a lighter in the room. Mm. Um, I, but uh, <laughs> to, to the point about the choppy editing, it is worth noting that the reason for that was the costume. Uh, they designed the mm. costume to look good, uh, but it doesn't look good in motion. And that's why they keep changing the costumes over the course of the movies. And like he gets a lot better at it in The Dark Knight. They actually have conversations about it where it's like, can I turn my head in this thing? Because that yeah. was one of the big problems. But like,
3: Bale also looks like big. And I don't just mean like, you yeah. look like a big dude in this one, like a large adult <laughs> son big. Well, like... this, well, the story
2: about that is, of course, quite famously, this is the film he made after completing The Machinist, for which he reduced his frame down to about 100 pounds. Um, and he, looks, he actually looks painful in that film yeah it's, it's horrible quite, it's quite horrible, an evisceration but... um but then he bulked up to the
0: point that he actually got too big yeah well, nolan was like i need you to put on weight for this and bale no not that part. but that's it nolan bale interpreted that as like weight on top of what i normally look like as opposed to weight <laughs> on top of what i look like now to the point where like apparently the cast and crew called him fat man oh when God, he showed up on set
2: yeah. so he got on set and had to lose about another 20 pounds yeah um, so if he looks big, that's because he is. But that suit, it does look good. But its I actually think it's quite appropriate that it looks like a kind of prototype for what would come later. In that it's got yeah. a lot of rubber, a lot of bits that just look affixed on top of one another. So a work in progress. And as you said, Darren, it would improve in later iterations um, with the mobility. Um, but the lack of mobility—that's a problem that Batman have complained about since uh, way back to Michael Keaton—is that uh, apparently it, when Ben Affleck was, was it
0: Christian ca- Bale's, that, yeah, the advice that he gave was, was put in a zipper,
2: put a zipper in the suit was the advice that Christian Bale gave to Ben Affleck because. The damn things are just so heavy, and you're so unable to move. Like if you, especially if you've watched Keaton's Batman, like he has to turn his whole frame if he's going to turn his head. He has
3: to look up in one of them, and he has to like do like a conga line level, like all or sorry, you know, limbo line, like all the way back to
0: like look up. It's very funny. Yeah, yeah
2: like Batman would not be able to do half. the Batman he could
0: if he wasn't you- edited so well you can't move your upper body you basically have to move from the waist
3: and then the idea of getting into a a tank and you know having to like
2: drive it around in that suit (laughs) it works in the moment don't think about it too much costume designer Lindy Hemming and production designer Nathan Crowley both of whom have to you have to acknowledge do a fantastic job here because Gotham and everybody who looks in it look great um, you have, to, you know, they're, they're not, they're dependent, like so many people in these films are, they're dependent on you not thinking about them too hard. And again, like the Batman outfit has always been a curse to anybody who's ever worn it. Uh, Clooney and Kilmer tell great horror stories. Um, so at least this one was on its way to being solved, but I think it fits into the idea of Batman evolving into what he's grown to gradually become.
0: And we mentioned the village to raise a Batman thing. It is worth noting, like, that's arguably Nolan learning the same thing. Like, the idea that you don't make these movies by yourself. You need a team of collaborators around you who enable you um, to do this, which is, again, interesting in terms of auteur theory. Um, Other than that, the only thing left to shout out, I think, is just Gordon. Uh, Possibly the saddest thing about me as a Batman fan is that my favorite character is Jim Gordon. Because you are, Jim I most Gordon. relate to. I most relate to, which he's, is possibly like, the most depressing fact.
3: I'm not a huge Gary Oldman fan. Like, I mean, I've enjoyed some of his over-the-top early film performances, yeah. but I, he also feels like an actor who's arrived at a level of reputation that I'm always like looking for the film that, like, why do you guys think he's that good? Like, I, I just haven't seen it yet, but <laughs> he is very good in this. Um, it's like the opposite of his Leon cop. It's like someone who's just like totally straightforward,
0: good you know, nails it. And and rocking a mustache. It's good to see he, a man he, he rocking does a mustache it well, and in he, 2006. He, he makes,
2: and it's a thing that you wouldn't think of with Gary Oldman because he's played such out there characters, but he makes Gordon really likeable and really identifiable. He's the most human mm. character of the whole lot. And like, I, you're just honest, like you feel the weight of the corruption that's around him, but you can't but admire the fact that he retains his inherent goodness despite all that. And that you're delighted that he finds an ally of one kind or another in the Batman. And hey, yeah, I love I love Oldman in these films. And also, to answer your question, Alex, I find that Oldman is an actor you have to appreciate in context. Watch him in Dracula and watch him in Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. You'll no, never like, believe No, I the love same Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy.
3: <laughs> And mm. I do love I those films. Kind and I love' kind of vampiric him in, in that. that, but he's also much, 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 much quieter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah I do like Tinker time. So.
0: You mean you don't think the fifth element was like the defining? Oh, no, I,
3: I love the fifth element. Everyone does. Like, it's great. <laughs> um, I remember watching some terrible, um, I think it was called Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah. Not yeah, yeah, very Brothers, good. Yeah, book yeah. of Eli mm. is, uh, Gary Eilman is trying to get his hands on a book. And at the end of it, like he opens it up and he almost does the like fifth element.
4: It's, <laughs> not <here. laughs> it's not here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so good. <laughs> I, do, I do. I I do think of Alec Guinness still. Whenever I do, like, I, re, I read like Harry books, and I never, I never picture um, Gary Oldman. I know I mean, Guinness, Guinness
3: is Guinness is a, a tough yeah. act to follow. I'd love I'd love more of
2: those
0: films. Like Netflix should be making those again.
2: Oh, I I was really hoping for Smiley's People, but yeah. oh well. Really yeah, should so have that looked, movie that made, made
0: money. Yeah, well, I mean, also like isn't the Honorable Schoolboy, which is the one that they couldn't do on the BBC budget because it would involve shooting in Hong Kong. Um, that that welcome to the Smiley Cast. Um, all right, is there anything else we want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already with regards to Batman Begins? So, Alex, Phil. Uh, um, Andrew.
2: I know we mentioned briefly, but it is just so crammed full of one-liners, and yeah, you know, doubters be damned about Nolan. He does have a sense of humor, and it's all over this thing. Like even one of the first scenes where uh, uh, Bruce is in a Chinese camp, beats half the camp up, and then he's dragged away to solitary. And he's told it's for protection. I don't need protection. Protection for them. <laughs> or even more sardonically, this is the part where um, he's getting ready for Bruce, getting ready for his birthday party, and yes. he has to sneak out. And he's telling uh, you, Alfred, "You just, I need to just you- tell them, tell them that joke, you know." Uh, uh, it's fun. Like say what one might about Batman Begins, and I, but I will contradict what my two fellow guests here have said. I think this one is fun. There's a lot of fun to be had with this. It's just not the kind of garish. No, I much prefer
3: that type of like one-liner humor that this film has a lot of because it's it feels like it's funny and they're one-liners and they're liners uh, lines like um, Michael Caine's fire department line. And they're not all great, but they do feel grounded and much more like something somebody would say off the cuff rather than the self-referential winking nonsense of all the Marvel films. Exactly, like cool party. Man. The
0: Iron Man 2 thing where he shows up and he's like, uh, It's me, get over it. And it's like, I uh, get it uh, because they changed the actor. Um, In terms of the movies, sorry, just in terms of the movies' other legacies that Alex mentioned, I do think you can probably draw a straight line from the Amnesian man in a, a semi expensive suit to the fact that so many of the Marvel movies. Are just generic bad guys in expensive suits. Obviously, the three Iron Man movies, the Winter Soldier with Robert Redford in a suit, the Ant Man movies with Walt Goggins. Uh, thank you very much uh, in a suit, and obviously um, Corey Stoll as well. One
2: thing I'm going to point out is that um, in terms of ne- Neeson, is this the point where we have to? Is this where we have to blame? Is Van begins where we have to blame for the nexus of uh, of uh, Neeson as a Jerry action star mm. because. This is the first time he played a, a properly villainous role. Like, well, at least one that was successful. I don't count the haunting. Uh, neither should you. Um, but, you know, before this, he was uh, seen as playing more virtuous leading man types. Oscar Schindler, Michael Collins, Rob Roy, what have you. Or is this... by Jane*. Jane*, exactly. So then you get to this. And, you know, he starts off as the mentor. Then he turns out to be the villain. And suddenly your expectations are shot. And then it seems that he's got more range, I guess. And he decides to play something a bit more dastardly and dark and then ends up a couple of years later making Taken. And that launches him proper into the kind of rut that he's in now with these action roles. But perhaps it was this that led him
0: down that path in the first place. You say the rough, I imagine it's a very lucrative. It's a lucrative
2: rut, but it's still a rut. Yeah, I'd say there's a lot of actors who'd love that rut. Pierce Brosnan (laughs) tried to dig himself into that rut. It didn't work.
0: Um, they asked how to get out they asked him if he wanted to to get out of it and he said Gerhauer Rutger Gerhauer." sorry okay fine that was that was that was rough Um, Alex sorry were you going to say something there just no I
3: did also like the efficiency of the film that it manages to not only establish the dynamics of sort of like a corporate IPO in the background of like the city but also (laughs) establish like literal personalities on Bruce Wayne's board like that's actually a sign of a very efficient filmmaking to be able to sort of have that like weathered old father time exposition character giving Bruce advice they're all like it's disgusting they're all invited to their boss's birthday and then he's just like (laughs) mean to them they all have to go home like that's terrible but I did also like that you know part of the like and we're rolling out the vaccine oh and by the way I was able to probably do some form of self-dealing and buy up all the shares in my own <laughs> company, which I'd imagine the SEC would be all over. But it, it kind of does speak to the scale that's – and, like, he does it so much better, I think, in The the Dark Knight and and the mm. subsequent one. But, like, he, there is efficiencies there. And I seem to remember at the time he, he made some very Christopher Nolan um, comment about, like, well, I didn't actually know if I was going to be able to make another one or, you know, I just kind oh, of
0: yeah. – he signed, he signed a contract one at a time. Yeah, um, basically, like, which to is deal interesting, with one because
3: I think there is a lot there to, to in build. In terms of a sequel. I mean, in terms of, like, not just the Joker card, I mean in terms of setting up mechanics and, and characters, and and not just the main three or four, but like other building blocks to the eventual whole world. It's I, I do remember I had to review the third one for Totally Dublin, and, and was nearly giving it like wanting to sort of isolate it... Um, on its own or whether to like consider it the topping of the like three trilogy. And at the time I was thinking, no, it deserves a lot more credit for like doing a satisfying ending to the, the the three rather than a film on its own. And I think the reverse of that is also true of Batman Begins. Like I, I, the last time I watched it, I don't, you know, I didn't love it as I say, as much as I did the very first time, but mechanically it's all there. Like there's so much, you know, stuff and it it works so much better than all of that world building sequel nonsense in every, I know we keep mentioning Mm. boring ass Marvel movie, but because it it feels natural, it doesn't feel like oh I see what they're doing there. In fact, the only thing that does feel like that is the the Joker card at the end. But because that's such a well-known villain, because that's such a well-known dynamic, you're actually much more willing to buy into that, of course. Jump off the roof, go find the vote, Joker. Sounds great. It's fantastic. And also, also, like,
0: it's, it's yeah, so it's, it's, as you said, it's something that symbolizes more that Batman has begun. It's like, okay, now he can do, like, that's the thing, like, Nolan has said that he only ever wanted to do one at a time, and I think you can see that as they go, like, that the aesthetics of the three films change dramatically, even as their thematic concerns remain consistent. So I don't think Nolan conceived of them all as one big entity. He more just kind of like mad libbed as it went along. Mm. That's very obvious with the Dark Knight Rises, where it's like, so Heath Ledger is going to be a big deal, and oh, oh, okay, um, like yeah, okay. But it's like, and, but and that's again, a discussion I also, for next year. That is a discussion because I don't want to have it now. I also suspect that there's no. an element of Nolan being
1: <laughs> like I say that enough. like have have having like all of the nonsense <laughs> tangents earlier, but as, soon as <laughs> yeah. it gets late, I'm like, <laughs> and he's <laughs> all tuckered yeah. out.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, and in terms of usual two fifty nonsense, a drunk billionaire yeah. does burn down his own mansion. So I guess that's inappropriate smoking.
1: Well, there's also inappropriate vaping, where when uh, like Raz Ghul turns the water supply into a vape pen. Hey, and um, <laughs> and, and, and and there's there's the, the the obligatory Robocop reference. I mean, you could say to throwback back to practical effects, but also the the um, the time it takes in revealing. The um the, suit. the
0: actual villain oh, oh yeah, okay oh yeah. the um, fact it waits an yeah. hour to show you yeah exactly
1: yeah 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 Somebody and needs, I mean there's to, also
0: there's of... also the fact that like you know when Bruce Wayne comes in and takes over the company he's like yeah I told you lose the arms division <laughs> oh and they, ultimately... they did lose the arms that, that's yeah. that's what drives the, the... plot and presumably
2: the... when he throws his guests out that's a birthday cake going mm. away right.
1: exactly yeah yeah and and there's the breakfast that gets thrown on the ground in the Chinese prison camp and um that's um, that's food, food waste, waste. Yeah. and um
0: yeah yeah all, all, all right then uh, phil alex unless you've got anything else you want to say last chance about the movie anything jumping out at you guys
3: no i would recommend um there's a good article in the la review of books of um the nolan variations it's like a review of that tom shone book that came out a few years ago uh i didn't read but there's a very good review by andrew fedorov on the imperialist anxieties of christopher nolan And it goes quite deep into things like how the blue flower that he takes uh, is actually representing opium and how then that is like Mm. spread back to the metropolis of the world. I didn't want to mention any of it because we'll be here all night, but (laughs) it's worth a read. Uh, It's an interesting art. I didn't agree with all of it, but there's a lot of interesting things there and kind of linked to what I was saying about how Christopher Nolan tends to play it as someone who's almost says like, Oh, I don't, I'm just making a film. I'm just doing this one. Actually, I think he's a lot more, calculator Canny, to yes. um borrow philosopher of, um <laughs> then he sometimes lets on exactly yeah uh, i see
0: what he did there. <clears throat> all right then so what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something something they enjoy it can be related to the movie we've just discussed completely unrelated, just something that brings you joy in these unusual times so to give phil to give alex a chance to think about it i'm gonna ask andrew to go first
1: so I'm going to recommend two things. One is a television show. Um, Commissioner Loeb here is played by Car- Colin McFarlane. Well, has a, um, a great voice,
0: phenomenal. Who's a great
1: voice and is known for doing a lot of kind of uh, video game work and kind of um, animation and that sort of stuff. Um, but he's also in 14 episodes of the Fast Show. Um, he is. I, I, yeah, and if if anyone kind of. I guess as BBC player or, or wherever they can find it, um, I l- loved it growing up. Um, mm. um, it's brilliant. And, uh, <laughs>
2: exactly. Also, he was in an episode um, of Black Books, and when I saw him, I freaked
1: out. That's it's right, it's like, Commissioner. <laughs> exactly, and uh, the 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 um, oh, by the way, it's a sketch show, um, and it's it's very funny. It's Paul Whitehouse, and the other thing is a book. I was I did, that I that I just finished, um, uh, which is um, uh, SPQR. It's uh, Senatus populus, populus Quae Qua Romanus, Romanus, which 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 is Mary Beard's kind of um, uh, story of 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 the kind of first uh, millennium of the, the 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 Roman Empire, I guess. And I thought about it when watching this. Because there's 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 that thing that that Razalgu says about kind of like we we you know that we burnt down we like Constantinople Rome we loaded plague chips with rats yeah. uh, before it but it but but it's actually it's 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 Razalgu and the, the kind of League of Shadows are doing what Rome used to do because they're, they're it's Tacitus's description that he puts in the mouth of a barbarian. That, that Rome uh, creates desolation and calls it peace. That when they're building their empire, they're like, oh, now the world is at peace. You know, um, whereas, whereas what they're actually doing is like killing like, tens and thousands, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people the way the League of Shadows are, are, are only trying to make the world a better place.
0: Not unlike any political events that might have been occurring globally around the same time or anything like that, perhaps no right. no heaven forbid but that's that's a that's a discussion for next Batman it's a day. film
2: that it's a film that ends with the terrorist trying to commit an act involving mass transportation in a public building i mean god who'd have thought
0: i, I don't know what you're possibly referring to there phil i'm um, sorry andrew we cut you off
1: no no that's
0: it i've been doing that More a lot tonight things. sorry guys and alex what would you recommend what are you enjoying at the moment
3: Sure, I'm actually um, talking about that delicate balance between art and commerce and people who are able to do it. I'd recommend this book. Oh, I'm sorry, I should actually read that it. podcast um, <laughs> instead of holding it up. It's called Sellout by Dan Ozzy. Uh, he's an American writer, and he kind of follows essentially um, 12 or 13 bands uh, that are sort of punk and hardcore from about the mid-90s, I want to say, to 2007. And just the fundamental change uh, the music industry Went under in that period, and and uh, I mean it's called sellout, so you can kind of guess that like trying to get that balance between retaining not only your fans but also as a band what you want to kind of do and say, and then coming up against the major label debuts and the idea that you have to hit certain marketing points. So it's fascinating because some of the bands would be well known and will have gotten big. Uh, and then some of them are obviously, you know, didn't really amount to anything. So that was why I would recommend um, really good writer, uh, Dan Ozzy. So I think you can buy it directly on his store. I think on from his Twitter, Dan Ozzy. So I'd oh, recommend that.
0: Okay. Uh, hopefully it will sell out. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Um, and Phil, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment?
2: Uh, let me think. Uh, first of all, I'm going to unironically recommend Jordan Peterson's book, actually, 12 Rules for Life. Um, I feel like the man actually has a lot of wisdom to offer if he just stopped going down Daily Wire-flavoured uh, rabbit holes. Um, yeah, I actually recommend that book It's in a practical sense. I actually think he's got a lot of wisdom to impart. Uh, besides that, in terms of things related to Batman Begins... Um, well, first of all, I'm going to recommend, uh, since we, the aforementioned Gary Oldman in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, because I consider that his finest performance. And much like his performances, Gordon, one of the reasons it works is because it actually requires him to be much quieter than we're usually used to him being. And as well as that, like Batman Begins, it's got an absolutely stacked supporting cast. Tom Hardy, uh, Colin Firth uh, Benedict Cumberbatch on and on. Um, and it's a great spy thriller and uh, shot by uh, Hoyt van Hoytema who would later go on to become uh, Nolan's uh, regular DP and then uh, just thinking of our leading man Christian Bale, I know I've mentioned it a number of times here but I always welcome a chance to recommend American Psycho because it's not only his finest performance and one of the finest performances I think I've ever seen. Um, But also it's a masterful example. Of how to adapt. A notoriously difficult book. And I mean. I I think the novel is kind of amazing. But I cannot recommend that to anybody. In good conscience or good taste. Because they'll hate me. But if you want to see. How to wrangle something like that. Mary Harron's adaptation. Is absolutely masterful. It tones down the violence. And it ups the satire. And again, another stacked cast, Willem Dafoe, Jared Leto, Reese with the Spoon. Um, uh, they're all great and it's a surprising hoot. Much like this, you're amazed at its sense of humor. So um those are my recs.
0: Perfect. And I, I would kind of second um the, the American Psycho. I rewatched that recently. Uh, it is a masterpiece just for the beginning of the it's a joy mm. uh in terms of, of recommendations uh from myself uh it's batman day so let's keep them batman oriented the 10-year run that you like on batman comics that ran through grant morrison's work uh scott snyder's work tom king's work uh fantastic collection of batman comics uh, if you want to read those um also been rereading some daredevil particularly mark wade's one really enjoyed that um, we didn't really talk that much about the Wayne murders, uh, which have become almost a trope in pop culture of themselves, the many, many deaths of Bruce, of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Uh, but the episode of Harley Quinn that released a couple of weeks ago as we we're releasing this, which was Batman Begins Forever, is just a wonderful <laughs> uh, deconstruction of the uh, ubiquity of the Wayne murders in pop culture, where I think the writers described it as like wanting to set the world record for the most Wayne murders uh, per minute um in terms of production so i would wholeheartedly recommend that as well so those are all three batman related kind of recommendations for myself um all right then so if listeners looking for a bit more phil a bit more alex in their lives we're going to find you watch up to phil Mm, where do they want to find me i'm not
2: online i'm are you on letterboxd i'm on letterboxd okay you can find me
0: there philip bagnell all right um and alex where you at watch up to I'm thinking
3: about getting a letterbox. I still, I feel like I'd just be consumed by it, so I'm holding off, but... Uh, I fell I into still... that
2: trap, I must admit, but there's fun to be had if you just know who to no, ignore and there. who to follow. I'm sure
3: there is, and I actually enjoy reading, like, reviews of people and stuff, so I, I should I should check that
0: out. You but fear uh, no, your I'm... letterbox potential to do great and terrible things, Alex. <laughs> exactly, yeah.
3: <laughs> Give my life over to letterbox. Um, no, I'm on Twitter, Alex Towers, A-L-X-T-W-R-S, and uh, hopefully getting a few more podcasts and a few things together over the coming months. So, yeah.
0: Perfect. Uh, We won't be back next week. We're taking next week off. Andrew is on holiday. He's going to Venice. I am hopefully going to New York the week after that, assuming you don't catch COVID. We weren't able to organize or schedule a recording to fill that gap. Uh, So unfortunately, we're going to take a gap week, but we figured this is a bumper episode. Uh, people should like it it'll be a nice one to kind of linger on the feed for a little while uh, and then the week after next we'll be back the wonderful raymond creamer will be talking to us about dumb and dumberer when harold met lloyd <laughs> which i'm really, really really excited about it's going to be a great conversation All but that. thank you so much phil thank you so much alex thank you andrew thank you Cheers. thanks for having thanks, us
1: everyone thanks darren thanks alex thanks Phil.